0: Hey guys, brand new podcast. Uh, I want to first start off by saying thank you. Um, thank you so much to everyone who sent me messages regarding my special. I know that not everyone has Showtime and not all of you got an opportunity to watch it. If you're still interested in watching it, uh, go to my Instagram and there is a a way that Redband figured out. He signed up for a free trial and he got to watch it for free. So not to circumnavigate the the financial powers that be at Showtime. But if you go to my Instagram, Bert Kreischer, B-E-R-T-K-R-E-I-S-C-H-E-R, you will see a screen grab from Brian Redband's um, uh, his Twitter, and that is a way to, to watch the special for free. Uh, also, if you have Showtime and you haven't gotten around to it, put it into your DVR. I know that it's playing right now, uh, Wednesday night, at 5 p.m. on Showtime. Thursday night is playing at 11.30 p.m. Friday night is playing at 2.30 a.m. Saturday is playing at 12.55 a.m. as well as 9.20 a.m. as well as 7 p.m. That's three showings on Saturday for Burt Kreischer, The Machine. Monday, 12.30 p.m., and it'll be airing like this just about every day or every other day for the next 90 days, I think. So do me a favor. Watch it again. Uh, tell your friends about it. Spread the word. I want as many people to see this special as possible. This isn't, you know, a streaming website where anyone can just watch it whenever they want. It's old school, baby. I like to keep it old school. I'm 44. I just turned 44 last week. I like to be, you know what I mean? I like to fucking, I like to be a part of the system. I give I give my email address out. I fucking sign up for the, hey, send me emails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i got a cool podcast coming out next week that is uh was begotten from rogan's podcast i hope you're i hope you uh i hope i hopefully i will get the video that i was talking about with jamie kennedy and Stu stone from blowing up and i will watch that in the intro and you can hear me laugh hysterically because i do laugh hysterically next week but that's next week with stew stone who heard of me on Rogan's podcast and reached out to me and then came down. I think he was in LA for a day and came over to my house and we did like, it was great. It's great. Today's podcast is even better. They're all, they get better and better. I'm really focusing. And thank you everyone for fucking sharing the word of this podcast because I know my numbers have, uh, gone up by three since, uh, since I really started focusing on this podcast and it means a lot. And I, and I can't tell you, and I'm being dead serious. When I was in the Baltimore Comedy Factory and I was in the green room, my Showtime special started airing and you guys reached out to me. And you said uh, the nice things on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and and the emails. I know I've given out my email a couple times. It means a lot. It really does. It's not lost on me. I am not some hugely famous comic. I'm a guy that's been on Travel Channel for seven years and hadn't done a special in seven years. And it's weird to put out this material that you know works in the clubs. But you give it to someone in their living room, and uh, and you and you just pray people fucking like it. And I'm working on my new hour. If you come out and see me, uh, I will be doing my new hour. Uh, and as always, you know I'm a man of the people. If you really, really, really want to hear the machine story, I'll tell it. But if you don't, just don't yell out the machine, and I probably won't tell it. And I'll tell you the Ralph Sampson story, or the softball story, or the although all i got a man i got so much new shit i'm so excited for this next hour this is uh it's a good time to be a stand-up man uh and if you haven't the end of the world podcast is online uh the i was on rogan a week ago you can check that out support your boy all of your boys and your girls uh tampa december 1st through 3rd morty's comedy joint December 8th through 10th. Fort Lauderdale, the 15th through 17th. Oxnard, the 29th through the thirty first for New Year's Eve. I will be in Oxnard. And that is my December. And we're going to come out with a tour poster for uh, for this coming tour in 2017. And, and I'm, I'm thinking hopefully we can turn it into a shirt and make a, a tour shirt. And so we can all just fucking party balls. I'm not changing who the fuck I am. I'm trying desperately to lose weight because we have this bet, me, Tom, and Ari on if by January 3rd, if Tom and I can get our BMIs out of obesity and into just general overweightness, then Ari's got to take us on a trip, and I already know where I want to go, the Super Bowl in Tampa, and we're all going to stay at my beach house, and we're going to have a fucking blast, but Ari's got to pay for the tickets, and if I'm overweight, then i will if I'm obese, I'll pay for the tickets, and if Tom's obese, which will probably happen... He'll have to pay for the tickets. Um, So yeah, so those are my dates. Today's podcast was recorded in New York City in my hotel room uh, with a guy that I had seen. You know, it's so funny. In this business... You make friends with people sometimes before you become fans of theirs. I think that's the way it should be. I definitely was friends with Ari. I thought he was funny, but I was more friends with him. I wanted to be friends with him. Same with Jay Okerson and Kurt Metzger and Segura. Segura and I were, trust me, he was not even remotely close to funny when we became friends. (laughs) That's kind of in part true. But the truth is, is when you're friends with someone, you know they're funny. They just haven't found it out sometimes. And I, I, I had been, I had known this guy, and then I saw him live one night in, in Phoenix, and I'm not fucking around. I don't throw this around lightly. Obviously, I do. I say I'm a, I'm a nice guy in the world. I want everyone to love me. But trust me and I tell you, this guy's legit on stage. Like, he fucking blew me away. I have known Steve Byrne forever. I've seen him on stage a million times. Steve Byrne is a fantastic comic. And let me tell you something. Steve will admit this too. Today's podcast guest is a fucking murderer. But more importantly than that, he was on Sullivan and Son with Steve. And it's the dream job. You're working with all your buddies. And I was always curious when that show got canceled how that felt. Cause I know what it feels like to have a show canceled. I've had all of them canceled, um, and uh, and I was curious how that feels when all your best friends are on the show, and you wonder what's your next move. That's the crazy thing about this business. What's your next move? How, or how how do you rebound? And this guy rebounded in such a big fucking way that I I was just curious. And man, his story is fascinating. It is literally a story of of just self fucking perseverance. I'm telling you, man, and I didn't know any of this shit. I didn't know anything about him. I really didn't. And I'm so glad we did this podcast. And And this is the reason I'll continue doing this podcast because this guy is fucking. He's dude. He deserves where the fuck he is right now. He's earned it. He's earned. My wife always says he's earned his Monday. That's what my wife's famous saying about, she said it about Amy Schumer when her movie came out big. She's earned her Monday. Just fucking take the day off. Pull the curtains down. Get high. Have a beer. Fucking jack off. Do whatever, not Amy, but what you know, if she wants to, it's women's world. Um, today's guest, without further ado, from Sullivan Sun, from Last Comic Standing, from The Daily Show, ladies and gentlemen, Roy Wood Jr.
1: This is...
0: Effort. I, I use it loud, 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 loud. I use it to do like if I do any production stuff where I shoot it myself. I put on the boot, the shotgun mic on this, and then aim it at me, and it shoots like it's like I have a mic on. It's this. I love this thing. The little the circular one that comes with it is fucking phenomenal. I have all the. It's the all best. The I, I love this thing. It's on my hit list. Yeah. What uh? What's um? So. So, how, uh, what was that? What was the phone call? Oh, hang on. This is what I'm so curious about. So, Sullivan Sons gets canceled. What do you think to yourself? It
1: gets canceled after being unofficially told that we would get renewed. Really? Yeah. So, So, Steve Coonan, who was then head of TBS and all of that stuff, um, We had like our traditional end of the season, season three meal and sit down. TBS is an extremely dope hands-on network when it comes to talent. So we have a sit down and it's kind of one of those wink, wink, double clutch, the handshake, see you next year type of events. Oh, okay. Well, season four is coming down the pipe. Steve Coonan leaves. Oh, dude. To go, I think it was to the Hawks or (laughs) the Hawks. I'm pretty sure it was the Hawks Yeah, because shit's all in Atlanta and to work with the Atlanta Hawks. And it was a dope position. Like he couldn't say no to it. So I understand it. So then Michael Wright comes in as the new head of TBS. Michael Wright goes, I don't give a fuck what anybody told y'all. All y'all bitches, get the fuck out my network. If your name ain't Conan O'Brien, really, get the fuck off of my lot. He didn't say it was. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He didn't yeah, say, yeah. But that's, <laughs> He came in and basically revamped the network. And to his credit, if you look at what everything TBS is doing now versus when Sullivan and Son was on the air, stylistically, it's a different network. They literally came in, new coach, new offense. What did they
0: put in? What did they put on that was new?
1: Um, they put on, if you look at the style of shows, is what I'm saying. If you look at a show like Wrecked, which is a single camera show, or The Detour with Jason Jones, oh, those yeah. styles of oh, sty- Exactly. D- the Detour is a really
0: great show. Exactly. That yeah.
1: style of stuff wasn't on. When we were on, it was us, it was men at work it was um the the show with Theo Vaughn and Howie Mandel it's like the hidden camera oh, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like punk type of show so that style of comedy they get, they turned away from and just wanted to do something more high concept and more power to them so i am in grand rapids michigan second show at dr Grins <laughs> at the bar getting ready to go up and do the second show and i get the text I get a I get a call from Peter Billingsley, who's one of the executive producers. Yeah. And Peter B and Vince Vaughn's in the background. I, Sorry, Roy, we tried. We love you. Yeah, it, it's it's weird when you get a call from from your really rich friends. Yeah. And you know, like, they're going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> How's this going to affect you guys? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, sorry. Do you sell a merch? <laughs> we got to go. We're on set of another new movie that Vince is doing. It's going to be fucking amazing. How are you? God. Well, I'm drinking at a bar, eating sushi in Michigan. Yeah, That's probably not a good combination. Um, so I was a little sad, but I was more sad for Steve Byrne, man. Because, you know, he created it. That was his baby. And, you know, Steve fought. Tooth and nail for so many things on he that was show. was So hands on with getting with
0: everything. Like he was all inclusive with the way you guys toured, the way you
1: guys did press, the way you did. We were the only comedy on television that had a tour. Like I'll well, I'll give you undateable. Delia and the boys they went out, yeah, and they started doing a comedy tour in support of their sitcom. But for what we were doing at the time, I think I think ours was first, but nonetheless, to dedicate three to four months of your life to taping, and then another three months on the road with just dudes, just promoting, like just
0: yep. grassroots. Doing press, doing uh, fucking... Doing, doing press, doing the shows, selling out. I, mean, I remember, I remember, I saw you guys in Phoenix, and it was a sold out show. Yeah, yeah,
1: you did come out to yeah. stand up live. So that yeah. is, the, by
0: the way, and I have to say this very candidly, not to get off track. That is the first time I ever saw you live, and oh, I was dude. floored, dude. Thank I you, I was man. legit floored, and I was like. Because for only time I'd ever seen you before, I think it was on Last Comic Standing.
1: Yeah, that doesn't and, count.
0: It, it, and it, in a weird yeah. way, it doesn't because I go, I go, he's good. But I mean, like, two
1: minutes of TV comedy is not. That's what makes comedy contests. So that's a conversation for another day. Comedy contests are just so. I get why they exist. Yeah. but it's just so not fair to it, comedians. I was sitting
0: down and I watched you, and I went, I, like, and there's a difference. There's a lot of guys that you'll see that you go, "Oh, that guy's funny," and then there's guys you see that you go, oh, "That guy's funny," and I'm not working hard enough. And I'm like, God damn it, I'm lazy <laughs> as fuck. And I saw when I saw you, I I remember going back to Steve and going, Holy shit, how funny is Roy? He's like, I know, right? He's fucking by well, far thanks, the best. Bro. And I was like, But so so you get the call at Doctor
1: Grins. So I get to call it Doctor Grins, and I finish my sushi, I finish my Michigan sushi, and I go up and do the show, and I call Burn, and you know, just gave him a you know a heartfelt thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. For, for him even thinking about me because, you know, he mentioned Sullivan and Son to me like five year, like five years before the show was created. He had mentioned it to me in passing. Yeah. Hey man, I'm doing this show. Yeah. Uh, shut the fuck up. Everybody's doing a show. Get the fuck out of my face, Asian. Yeah. Hey, whatever. <laughs> and then sure enough, I get an audition and I walk in a room and there's Steve Byrne. So, uh, you know, I do the show and this was my first time being cast on something that went to air. So it was my first cancellation. So,
0: those are the toughest.
1: I've been canceled a lot. <laughs> dude and i bet it's even harder for you because you're the creator and star like i'm fucking, ninth on the call sheet like i
0: have been canceled <laughs> so many fucking times that i literally had to give a speech to someone in my hotel room one time and i was like listen all shows get canceled That's part of the gig you gotta be <laughs> yeah. cool with it it's like it's almost like the way people look at death i was like yeah. listen you know what i, I said what, what's your favorite show right now and they're like uh Fucking, I forget what you said. Or Breaking Bad, or whatever. I said one day that will be canceled as well. I go Friends was canceled, Seinfeld was canceled. They all get canceled. Everything gets canceled. You got to be cool with it, and you got to be ready with the rebirth and what you do next. And that's the the hardest part of this business is getting is getting is mourning Mm -hmm. mourning the loss of something that you love dearly. Because that that's the other thing. You know, it's these jobs aren't just like they're they're dreams. It's like a dream. You had, a, you had your dream came true. You were on a fucking sitcom. Your fucking it, your dream came true, probably. and then your dream died. And you, and all your best friends were there. It was a family. You did it four years. It was like a family. You'd show up and everyone be like, "What's up, Roy?" You knew everyone. The fucking costume, legit. the makeup, yep. fucking. You had like an assistant walk around and hey, Roy, can you?
1: If you need a coffee, let me know. I'll go run and get it for you. No, no, no. I'm good. Second EPs that are directing their own sitcoms now, and it's like watching yeah. your kids go from middle school to college and stuff. Yeah, and you're doing it with
0: you, Owen, Steve, Ahmed. Fucking, it's like the four horsemen. Yeah, it was good times, man. And, and you then, know. And then one day, and this happens to all of us, and this is why I like your doctor grins and they go, Hey, your dream's over. But keep going for your dream, but just it's not
1: Exactly. <laughs> so you now you walk on stage and like near the end of the set I would do this thing at the end of my set where, hey, you know, thank you for watching Sullivan. And I would make a joke about the beer that we drank on set. Some of us drank apple juice that had beer foam on the top. I drank ginger ale with beer foam. And some people drank actual beer. Yeah. So it's a whole bit about beer. And as I'm starting the joke, I'm going, oh, shit, we're canceled. I <sighs> need a new way to get into this joke. Oh, fuck. And I started mentioning Sullivan Sun, and people are clapping. Yeah, Sullivan Son. I'm like. Do I tell him it's that's the hardest. Do I tell him right now? It's like, uh, yeah, I told him and it wasn't funny. There was but it was real. It was a real heartfelt moment. I felt like I couldn't run away from that. But yeah, yeah, I've been fired from radio twice. So I've had a taste of that professional level rejection. It's not quite like Hollywood rejection, but I made, I made, I made peace with the fact dude, a long time ago that entertainment as a whole like the only thing you can hope for is to just work the road long enough because whatever your life cycle is on the coast be it LA or New York eventually you get put out to pasture around 50 unless you're creating some unique projects for yourself or you're spearheading stuff for younger guys you just hope to have a following by the end of people who still care enough to come see you and maybe bring their kids to come see you <laughs> so you can quit the road on your own terms and just work casually when you want. Yeah, Like at the end of the day, Bert, we're all black and white headshots on the wall. And 20 years from now, my headshot's going to be on the wall and some new comics going to see it hanging over the bathroom at the in Nashville and go, who the fuck was that guy? Yeah, And why does he have an AOL email address on his headshot? I've done that. I've gone through those headshots at Zany's so often. How many do you know? How many? Like, I'd say maybe a third of those guys I literally do not know, have never recognized. If I Googled them, I can't even find a clip. And I've tried Googling some of them. I've tried. And there's no footage of them online. It's just they're ghosts now. We're
0: all living ghosts. God, that is a great fucking podcast. If Zanies is listening, just every week it's a new headshot. That you go, where are you now? I'm yeah, fucking. I mean, Because yeah. if I'll sit with I'll sit with the Dorfmans and I'll go, tell me that guy, tell me that guy. They know their shit. They know them. They know yeah. them all. They're like, oh, I remember him. You know who's really fun is? Um, did you ever do Richmond? I, he, um, he's not managing Richmond anymore. I think it. I think Miller. Was it? Um, what richmond funnybone richmond funnybone is it jason my fucking oh wait yeah jason 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 yes he is fun to go to lunch with because he he's been on the road forever before he started managing Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you old comics jokes and i dude, the funniest bits ever and these guys (laughs) retired
1: you know a lot i found out a lot of those guys sold their acts to other headliners i won't name names because it's probably rude and all in confidence or some shit but i found out like a lot of like not a lot but there's some guys from like the 80s and 90s that would just find old road hogs who were just never going to be in hollywood and just yeah. go hey man here's thirty thousand. give me that hour of material and you're a road guy fuck it may as well i can write another hour at some point yeah and they've sold their entire hours to to other comedians who went on to do amazing things with the material I think that
0: i i mean i am I have a real and I, and it's probably mis misdirected, but I have a real integrity issue about what I say on stage or my words because i go well, there's no re- there's no reason for me to do it. I'm not a
1: cover band like there's no reason for me to do it <laughs> if someone else is
0: writing it, this is what I can do
1: it's yeah. like ice skating. I know some guys are good in that regard. I mean, you know, Pryor had writers. But That's what, yeah, is, that blows me away. But did he have writers or was Mooney doing punch up and just tightening up a couple things? Because for me, I look at my act and it's just, it's got to be my words, my opinions, yeah. my perspective. You know, of course, there's comics that are going to throw me a tag or two and try and punch something up. But I've never sat physically with a guy and tried to write. Up. Like I was paranoid when I did, I just did my hour for Comedy Central. Yeah. I was paranoid about sitting down with other guys and just getting punch up for my own app because I wasn't sure if I would have to give them credit for helping me write the material, and that sounds selfish in a way. But I just, I was like, nah, this is all mine, yeah, and just yeah. I'll live and die on it. I just, I can't.
0: It's well, it's the thing. Like, like I was with, uh, I, I had this. My, my new favorite bit is this story about Ralph Sampson, and I wanted to say it's the first time I'm the. The point I was trying to make is it was the first time I met black people, meaning I knew a black person before, but I'd never seen like black people interact. <laughs> Group, yeah. yeah. And so I, was, and I, I said to Shane Torres, I said, hey, what do you think about this idea? And he was like, I do not like it. And I go, why? He goes, it's a little racist.
1: And he goes, you're saying that when they
0: get in groups, they behave differently. I said, well, wait, everyone does. It's a true statement. I said, white people do too. And he goes, okay, then open with that. He's like, you got to say white people first. I go, I don't want to. I go, I feel like that's cheating. And he goes, no, no, no trust me and so i,
1: I trust I, equity you gotta and, have the trust yeah and
0: So I, I went i went fuck him so i went i was i met black person before but never met black people and everyone was like what the fuck is he saying <laughs> and then i went well you know how white people when we get together we're like oh get the uh, get the sampler platter uh it's a five o'clock somewhere and yeah. i made fun of white people and everyone laughed and then i was like oh shit and then i looked at shane in the back i was like you were right and that but in that essence i don't think he wrote that joke he just no, told me he, it's he, the he same gave the guidance. hell yeah when, uh, so wait, so so uh, so I want to know about the period because one of the one of the other cool things about this business is the period from like Sullivan Sun getting canceled to then all of a sudden, possibly what I would
1: say is the job in comedy of a lifetime. So Sullivan Sun gets canceled, and we still <laughs> here's the best part. <laughs> Bitch, we got canceled. <laughs> and, we still had tour dates to do.
0: Are you serious?
1: <laughs> we we got canceled oh. and we still have fucking tour dates to finish up. Oh. We had like two weeks of tour dates left. You had an off week and I went to Grand Rapids. So I make the focus um, earlier that year I'd started doing Sports Nation on ESPN. Yeah. So at the time, Max Kellerman and Marcus Wiley or whatever, they were letting me come on and crack jokes about sports. I love sports and comedy. I still believe, and I stand beside this to this day, whoever figures out that Rubik's Cube, yep. that guy's rich forever. Like what, the, whatever that sports daily show is, but you have to navigate around the potholes of – the league, the players, the sponsors—there's so much more bullshit that you have to deal with when you're trying to make fun of sports. And the legality of getting the clips—it's only so many jokes you can make off of pictures. You need video, and most oh, leagues won't give you video. Part, huh? That's why sports and comedy is so hard. Matt on did a show like that, but I guess yeah, they, they I remember have... on Versus Network. Yeah, yeah and was, they didn't have the clips. They it was it's just hard. pictures. It's hard. And he was doing sports soup, I think it was. And yeah. he did it like twice a week. And I watched yeah. it. I was like, that's – oh, it's almost uh, –
0: I tested uh, for that. it. and Dude. And, and, and they, literally, the, Matt was just the best. He's the best. He's the best. He's the best. He's lively. He's so
1: fucking great. He's fucking alive. I, I'm too – He's been working I, every day since that day. I'm too angry at the world to be – I don't <laughs> have that smile. <laughs> so – I start so I go back to what I know, man. I go back to a road. So, you know, thankfully Sullivan and Son and the tour over those three years gave me enough equity with new rooms I hadn't worked before. So I had about thirty or forty dates on the on the books going into that following year. But in the meantime, to me, the next move was to start doing more stuff with ESPN. So I wanted to be the guy that married sports and comedy. So I was doing what I was doing with Sports Nation, and I started working with USA Today Sports. And there's a great guy over there that was letting me do a lot of video stuff with USA Today Sports. And so I started doing my own video blogs, just ranting about football and fantasy football. I just just sat down one day after the cancellation. I just identified what's important to me, what do I like doing, and how can I make that funny? Well, I'm probably 80 to 90% a sports guy. Yeah, and that's something that if you connect with the people properly, you can get dude bros to come out, and you can get their girlfriends to come out and stuff like that. You know, I'm not a ladies' comic; like, I don't have that Dalia Bill Bellamy type. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, no, no, I know I'm not exactly handsome. I don't have that charm. I've, I've talked
0: about it a lot, and don't, it, it, I don't. And I, I always say it, and I hope it never comes out like I'm shitting on Dalia. But like, I don't know where to get the pants he wears. Like, I, like <laughs> yeah, I don't like, know. I re- literally go, what are those Yeezys you're wearing? Like how, <laughs> you find Why do you find, how do you find your clothes? I saw him with a shirt that was like ripped and like off his shoulder or something. And I was like, is he, was he doing, was he painting something? <laughs> or is this like the look? Like, fuck, I'm so lost. I'm yeah. wearing dad jeans and fucking and Nike SBs because they're comfortable and I have plantar fasciitis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I recognize my style of comedy doesn't connect like those two guys so I know I'm the hangout, grab a drink, let's do a shot type of comic. So, shot guys love talking about sports so let me focus on that. So, I'm going to go hard at every sports outlet. So, I started doing call-ins on three national shows. I was doing Sports Nation once a month. I was doing my own video blog. I parlayed that into the USA Today stuff and then lo and behold, ESPN at the time. I don't think they ever followed through with it, but they um, they came a knocking and yep. they go, "Hey, we're thinking about trying to." And basically, they were trying to do their own like Frank Caliendo type situation with Sunday Countdown. This is when Frank Frank had just started at ESPN at this point, and I know they were still doing stuff with him, and I know they had Rob Riggle over at Fox. So I think ESPN wanted to. How can we put more comedy into what we do? So god bless them man they gave me free reign to just pitch whatever the fuck i wanted to pitch whatever i thought would make sense as a segment as a show as anything and i probably had 10 to 14 things in a packet i shot three of them for proof of concept and sent them in and i was in the process of you know going back and forth with the network and i get a call from my manager that hey um the daily show is probably looking for new correspondents we sent them some of your stuff from sports nation and some of your stand up sets and they kind of like what you're doing. You'd want to go to New York for an audition. I was like, fuck yeah. And the thing about it it was kind of intimidating because politics really isn't my wheelhouse. Like I like it. I can talk about it. I've, I followed the news enough to know, but I'm not, I ain't Dennis Miller with this shit. I'm not Al Franken. I'm not, bathing in it you know what i mean so i wasn't sure i'm like am i even right for this but it turns out they just wanted people that could bring the material to life and if you have opinions about the world it doesn't have to just be strictly politics and so when i got there and found out trevor trevor noah is kind of running a different offense from what john stewart implemented when he was on the show i was i felt a little more at ease about okay well maybe i can fit in here as long as i have opinions about stuff yeah there's always going to be issues. The opinions don't always have to be about people or policy, which for me isn't necessarily my wheelhouse. Like when I look at fellow correspondent Hassan Minaj, Hassan did a um, correspondence dinner, not the one Larry Wilmore did, but another one. And he went up in front of a room of congressmen and representatives and roasted that demolished these motherfuckers. Really? And it went viral. Vi- like, Google that shit, bro. He told it to their face. They ain't shit. And it was hilarious and it was awkward. And I could never do that. Yeah. I could never in a million years for what my comedy is. I can't. I don't have that muscle either. I can't do that. It comes off
0: weird when I do it. Like when I do it, it comes off like, oh, wait, he really doesn't like us.
1: Yeah. And for me, I have to always remember to smile when saying horrible stuff because in my head, you're a black man. Don't scare him. You're a black man. someone's scared of you, Just smile. So it's too much shit going on in my head. So I did the audition and booked the damn show, man. Like, and just couldn't believe it could have given two fucks when I walked out the room. Cause you have to treat it like that. Yeah. Otherwise you'll go crazy because every audition is a chance to change your life. And this could be, and mind you, I'd already auditioned for the daily show back in 07 and didn't get, I ate a dick <laughs> in the audition so I was like I'm not right for this show. Why are they calling me back? Yeah. All right, fine. I'll go. I'll but I'm going to do exactly what I do and thankfully without knowing it the time on Sports Nation and doing the videos with USA Today it was basically like minor leagues. It was training. It was yeah. training for that daily show style of desk humor where sensitive subject, find the joke, tell the joke fast. We only got 3 minutes. Yeah. Like that type of learning that sit down panel style comedy, which is totally different from stand up. And it's totally different from conversation. Like learning that. I really think it helped me going into the audition. A hundred percent. I don't think I could have done it just coming straight off the road.
0: What was the audition like? Do you did you go bring did they put you on a desk?
1: Yeah, you basically shoot a mock version of the show, cameras and all. Oh, really? Teleprompter, the whole WAP. They, you do two segments. You do one segment. And do they do they like give you the material ahead of time? Yeah, one segment they wrote, one segment you wrote, and oh, really you perform them both. And and what were your segments about? Do you remember? I did. I can't remember what the segment what they did was about. Well, I can't remember the segment that they wrote for me. But for me, it was just looking at the script and like, okay, where are the jokes? How do I nail this joke? How do I do the punchline? Backstory. So in two thousand seven, I auditioned, and as I walk out the room, I left my phone in the room. Now when I auditioned, I completely just it sucked. Like you know when you've had a bad audition, it oh, just yeah. it's it's quiet in the
0: room. I did an audition one time where my voice started trailing off. Like, <laughs> like I was like, and I I'm, think I'm pretty much done here. The,
1: the only thing I can compare it to for the men listening, imagine going up to a table full of women and you're trying to talk to, you're just trying to connect with one, but all five of them don't look at you. They don't acknowledge your presence and you still have to complete the sentence. Now imagine you have four pages worth of sentences to read <laughs> Before you can walk away from the table. So it was a horrible audition. I left my phone in the chair. So I have to sit and wait for the person who's auditioning after me to finish so I can go back in and get my phone. Yeah. Person who went in after me was Wyatt Sinat. Wyatt demolishes. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to his audition and I'm hearing everything I didn't do. Oh, vocal inflection. Listen. Active listening. Pause. Here. Oh, that's how you do it. And like wow. Wyatt walks out to like raucous applause. And then I cut back here. Hey, I love my phone. I love my, phone. <laughs> my hey, phone. I love my phone. Yeah, Wyatt booked the fucking show too. Like I sat and listened to his Daily Show audition. I'd listen to Wyatt that get the Daily Show. So fast forward to my audition. And I'm like, you got your hair all picked up. <laughs> yeah. the girl <laughs> Y'all here to replace the Afro guy, right? Um, and I remember it was like, oh, okay. It's about listening. It's about the pauses and inflections, and you hit the jokes. It's different from TV acting in a way. So I did their piece. And then the piece that I wrote for them, it was kind of a hybrid of a bit that I had while kind of tied into, um, Current events at the time. At the time the Confederate flag was all the chatter. Yeah. And so my bit was basically defending the Confederate flag and why we should keep the Confederate flag around. And I'm pro Confederate flag because if you get rid of it, how will how will black people know who the dangerous white people are? <laughs> These dangerous white people will now be able to just blend in. <laughs> like, no keep that flag and let them wear it because if you get rid of this flag you already got rid of the hoods and the crosses so you've already made it extra hard (laughs) that's great so it was more of the train of thought and the ideology so i think the audition for the most part is can you make our shit funny and can you write funny stuff and yeah. I did enough to prove that, but I walked out the room with the same level of give a fuck as any other audition because otherwise you get wrapped up in it. Uh, yeah, my audition ended at one o'clock. I was at JFK by four. Oh, really? Gone. And you're like, fuck, I'm home. I'm gone. I'm gone. I don't want to be like New York is such. I didn't even realize till I moved here, man. I'd never been here more than four days in a row in my I have career. I'm here now. 18 years, I haven't been here more than four days in a row. Really? Until I moved here. Like, I lived just... here when I
0: first started, and I come back now, and I'm like, I literally live in a hotel room.
1: <laughs> I like, get it. I
0: cleaned the fuck out of this room for you, because it was destroyed.
1: <laughs> like, destroyed. I am, in hindsight, I moved to L.A. in 07. I wish I had come to New York. Wait, where did you? Wait, where did you? I started in the South, man. I started in 98 in Birmingham, Alabama. So my first eight, nine years of stand-up was just the road. Are you fucking serious? You didn't move road. to New York or to L.A. until oh seven. Here's what I did. I started coming to L.A. in oh five, And I would come every other month. And then eventually I would come to L.A. once a month for like a year and a half to two years and pretended to live there and told people, I ain't seen about. Yeah, I was on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was only in L.A. three days a month for two years just to create this yeah i'm here yeah because being from the south always felt like there was a stigma if you were a road comic if people knew that you were just a road guy they just figured you weren't serious agents wouldn't fuck with you you couldn't get auditions because oh he's never going to be which was true i was never there but yeah i don't need you to think that plus i knew eventually when i move here i need to have these clubs i need to be able to be past these clubs so let's do the work now so thankfully i was booking enough colleges to where i could afford to kind of just set aside a couple days every month just to go to L.A. and just hang out at clubs and stuff like that. So really? So that's it, probably where the perception of me being in L.A. longer than what it was. Like that's I,
0: crazy. I thought you'd been there. I, like, I moved to L.A. in 2000, I guess, mm-hmm. and I just assumed
1: you'd been there with me the whole time. No, I came 05. 05 was my first time setting foot. Now, I might have done a showcase or two before that, but, I mean, that was all... Paid to be there, like some Star Search or fucking yeah. comics unleashed with Byron Allen. I did comics or, unleashed. Every way, comic I, on Earth. Did comics I got to be unleashed. honest with you,
0: it's some of the best footage of me. Like because it, it was really he was brilliant. He really was brilliant at what he was doing. I don't think he knew this, but he was creating YouTube clips. So Bert, tell me about this, and and if yeah. you could pull it out, and everybody plug it spoke in
1: spoken sound bites. Yeah.
0: yeah, it was it was he was creating sound bites. It was so uncomfortable to do, but. It was like, it was, it, it was, was brilliant. He's, it's some of the best footage I have of me
1: doing a, like a panel bit. I mean, for all of the old oh, Byron Allen didn't give comedians enough money and he making all this money off of us off yeah. that show. That shit ran so many times. I recognize more from like, if I ranked recognition right now, it would go daily show comics unleashed. It played more than anything else I've ever been on. Yeah, more than last comic standing. I mean, because for whatever last comic standing is, the shit don't come on twice. Yeah, it came on one time. It what was, season were you on? This was season, season four? seven. Season I did four and seven. Four I got to the semi. Seven I got third place. Seven was twenty ten. Then that was twenty. It was me. It was the year Felipe Esparza won. Okay, so it was me, well, Felipe. Who's the top five? Did you guys tour? Yeah. At, God damn, that was a fun tour. uh Me, Felipe Esparza, Mike stefano RIP, really? Mike Kaplan, and Tommy johnigan Are you shitting me? Dude, we we're on a bus for 80 cities. 80 oh, cities. that would be a fucking great tour. It was a good time. It was a little, I'll be honest, I can speak freely now. It was a little tense, probably the first couple of weeks probably the first two weeks because we went on tour immediately after the show ended. Yeah. So, you know, the four of us are kind of butthurt because Felipe won because you're a comic. You want to win. You want the money. And so Felipe was very low-key and he kept to himself. And, you know, Mike DeStefano, you know, he's very, he was very New York. So he, fuck that fucking Mexican. I'm not fucking hanging with him. I'm going to tell these fucking jokes. (laughs) Two weeks in, everybody cool as fuck. Once you get over the fact that you lost and it's not Felipe. Felipe's not the judge. Yeah. Felipe just went up and did the same thing you did. So what are you mad at him for? And so at that point it was cool. He did, um, he did the funniest shit ever. One time we were in, I think we were in San Diego one night on the road and Felipe would smoke out a little bit before the show sometimes. And I would get drunk and I'm sitting side stage. I'm emceeing the tour and Felipe is supposed to do 25 minutes. He goes up and he does like 10 minutes, right? Yeah. And then you just see him pause on stage. Like you literally see him just have a brain fart. And he pauses for like 30 seconds and it's awkward as fuck. And then he just starts his act again at the top and does the same 10 minutes again (laughs) in order. He does the same 10 minutes twice. Then does the whole set. Yeah. He comes off stage. I go, what the fuck was that? He goes, I forgot where I was in my act. So I just started over to make sure I did everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it made perfect sense <laughs> because contractually if you go short, the venue is all pissed off and they want their money Shut back. the fuck so up Felipe was I forgot
0: like, where I was in my yeah, act.
1: <laughs> just to be sure, I'm going to start over oh, from the top. Fucking great.
0: Uh, that would have been <laughs> and man. The
1: audience is just like they're not laughing the second time through. <laughs> They're they looking at like they're looking at each other like is this a is they're expecting some great yeah is this a brilliant punchline punch at the end of doing ten minutes twice and, yeah. like, and it wasn't it was oh, like, no like, and I was just high <laughs> I was just high oh, and I forgot that is fucking hilarious dude last comic was fun man that was a fun I it, wish I had a good experience with it I was I hated it. I'm not a. F- I would, still wouldn't advocate anybody. Do- I'm talking about the tour. The show oh, is yeah. a stress pot. I it's, just, I
0: just did what you did in 2000 and in, in Last Comic Standing four. Mm-hmm. I just got to the semifinals in season two, and it fucking. I, I. It made me.
1: I hated it. It made me crazy. It's TV. It's casting. It's. It's definitely playing to certain demos when you pick particular comics, of course. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you ask me, Kurt Metzger should have been in the top ten of my season. Fortune Femster should have been in the top ten of my season. Um, to me, the the thing, the problem with comedy, and this is where stand up as a whole has a problem, in my opinion. Yeah. Nobody really gives a fuck about new comics. Nobody, nobody gives a fuck to take the time to discover new comedians. Because comedy is the one art form, in my opinion. It's the one art form that everybody can partake in. You can get a laugh from a goofy baby, some YouTube kid, some fucking old man, some fucking cat videos. No one gives a fuck where they get a laugh. They just want to laugh. Yeah. So stand-ups get lost in that muck. Like if you want a singer or a dancer, you got to get a professional. You got to go find someone on iTunes. You're not going to just let some random YouTube fuck serenade you and then download his SoundCloud. They have to be proven to be like they have to be bonafide so if you're if if you're a new comedian most people aren't sitting down to watch a showcase show of three or four new comics just doing jokes if you do you got to let Felipe Esparza host it on Comedy Central it's got to be stand-up revolution yeah or it's got to be Adam Devine's house party we gotta we gotta put these new comics under an umbrella of something that people already approve of yeah so that you get it's like vitamin in the dog food no way. No disrespect to those guys. I'm not calling them dog food, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to st- Kevin Hart, Heart of the City. Same thing. New comics under the umbrella of something that's already proven and understood that people already like. Yeah, because that's true. The concept of a half-hour stand-up comedy show is dead. Like, 10, 15 years ago, that was the shit. It was a goal to get on Premium Blend. It was a goal to get on any of these shows that showcase new comics doing their thing. But now, if you're a network and you want people to see comedy because on the network side comedy is cheap you don't have to pay us a lot we work for little just give us some cheetos and some beer and we're good we're not divas for the most part we're not we're not american idol it's not a bunch of paying for song rights and contracts and bullshit and outfits it's just microphone and jokes so how do we get people to watch i know we promise the people that one of these people they're seeing will get their dreams crushed and that's The concept, to me, of most reality TV now, I love Chopped. It's my favorite show, but I promise you, I wouldn't fucking watch it if it was just called Motherfuckers Cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just Motherfuckers Cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Motherfuckers Cooking. What are you watching? Motherfuckers Cooking. Well, does one of them get their dreams crushed? Yeah. After this break, somebody gets sent home and they cry. Oh, cool. I'll watch. Your Gorgonzola confit was burned <laughs> Chef <laughs> It was seared improperly You are chopped goodbye And you see a motherfucker grow- So you think you can dance And the voice All of these shows are predicated around An element of elimination Project I watched Project Runway with my girlfriend I could give two fucks about fashion But I know at the end of this episode Somebody's dream is gonna get crushed Yeah I'm all in Cause I wanna see the tears So you take a show like Last Comic Standing where I hate to say it, but it helped keep comedy alive on the road because it gave the viewers, in my opinion, this is my opinion of the show. It gave the viewers new people to like because your guy didn't get through. Well, that's fucking bullshit. When he's here, I'm going to pay twelve dollars and two drinks to go see him so I can tell him how much I loved him. Now the comedy club's alive. So now when I'm 50 years old, when the coast has spit me out, I got somewhere to go perform. Because yeah. you need, to me, you need comedians on TV. Televised comedy is what led to the comedy club boom. Now eventually, the oversaturation of comedy on TV killed comedy clubs because it was too many places to watch it on TV while I leave the house. But I feel like TV and stand-up oh, wow, have a symbiotic relationship.
0: So we, so we, so then let's talk about this because. Right now, we're going through another comedy boom. Like, we're in the middle of a fucking massive comedy boom. I agree with that indie room boom. It's, it, yeah, and it's like, it's like I, in my head, I'm like, when, so w- where's, where's the boiling point? When's it going to start spilling over the side of the pots? And when does it spill over the side of the pots? And you turn it off and you realize, oh shit, we've lost half of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's going to, because like, I was talking to someone, they're like, there, there's going to be like 200 specials next year. Some some 150 or 200 specials next year.
1: 100. I couldn't
0: name 150 headliners I'd want to watch. I could name 20
1: that I'd want to watch. Yeah. Like
0: 150?
1: Yeah. Now, I guess I understand you got to fill. Specials ain't specials. Yeah, you got to fill content.
0: Specials are not specials. Like, my special comes out uh, November 11th at 10 p.m. on Showtime. Mm-hmm. But, but uh But, and, and you get so excited at Showtime, and then. Like, building up, you're like, oh, Sebastian's got another one that's coming out for me. Um, Stan Hope's came out. Rogan's coming out. Like, uh, fucking Dave, Dave – uh, uh, Kevin Hartz just came I'm out. I'm halfway like-
1: through Rogan's. Rogan's got a bit about Scientology that made me quit writing mine.
0: <laughs> He's He – man, that's special. Like you
1: talk about seeing comics that make you want to go home and write. Rogan makes me – Rogan and Jim Norton, I've thrown away more material watching <sighs> them. I just – okay, I can't do that topic. Rogan, that's – I watched the whole special – it
0: was phenomenal. Like, there's a bit where where he's talking about like uh, talking to his kids, and he's like talking to his kids, high. And I was like, oh, get rid of that bit for me.
1: <laughs> that was done better.
0: He's got a Santa Claus bit. Fucking scrap that shit. I watch okay.
1: Rogan, and Rogan be contemplating deep shit. I'm like, I need to do more shrooms and write. I need to do shrooms and get in one of these sensory deprivation coffins, whatever the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, um, he, dude, he.
0: He inspires – he called me at 115 last night, and I was like – in my head, I'm like, I, there's no way that I can't tell him that I'm in New York and I'm not hitting another club because that's the way he is. He like, fucking dude, up at six on the elliptical, fucking protein after that, takes kids to school, fucking kettlebells, jujitsu, then three-hour podcast, then back home, shoot some bows and arrows, take the girls, have dinner with the girls, put them to bed, in the car, to the store, do t- every room in the store, and then go home. And, and back you, up at six. And back up at six. He's a beast. He makes me, like, I feel guilty when I when I fly into like I will fly in Saturday. I fly in Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'll feel guilty that I'm not at the store on Sunday. <laughs> and, and and he'll 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 give you a text. Are you going to be? Where are you? Are you going to be at the store? Go so down. He, and you're like, you're like, I, I don't, I can't, man. I don't have that work ethic. Like I, I <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm lazy. The
1: fact that you own it, like uh, Joe. You got muscles, man. That's not what I do.
0: Dude, I'm just working on losing weight. I'm working on keeping my hair. That's it. Dude,
1: it's it's weird, though, because I just feel like with all of these specials that are coming out, as a comic, you have to be saying something very specific. Jokes and hanging out, that's cool. and That'll get you one. That might even get you two. But it ain't going to get you a career. And so when I look at a lot of what's out now, it's like, all right, that's cool. That's, hey, man, two for four, one RBI. That's way to go. But can you do that again and again? Because sooner or later, you got to start hitting Monster Homers because the other thing comedians are up against now is the web and YouTubers and Vine and Instagram and this new generation, like I'm talking 25 and under, who in 10 years when they – fuck and have a kid and got a job and are looking for regular humor. They may not even think of a comedy club first because their first introduction to comedy is not a standup. Oh. It's people in their phone. Like I remember doing colleges. I was the first comedian. When you do colleges more often than not, you are the first standup. You're the first live show they have ever seen. So you literally have an opportunity to influence. I never thought of that. Their perception Of stand up as a craft from here, henceforth and forever, because the next time they think about going to see comedy, they're going to think about the last time they saw comedy. Was it good? That's why I get infuriated when I hear stories of motherfuckers shitting on college shows. It's like, dude, you're literally fucking up future bread. I don't even think you think of it on those levels. But, you know, like think about stand up right now, man. If I sent you 100 viral clips, if someone sent you 100 <clears throat> clips, this is hilarious. You got to watch it. Mm-hmm. How many of them would be a comedian telling a joke in a club? Uh, there none. I would say um, none. because Unless it's a car wreck, fucking somebody rushed the stage or Hannibal calls Cosby a rapist <laughs> type clip.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it Hannibal calls to- Cosby a rapist is the only thing that will be in there.
1: Exactly. It's the only one. And maybe some Chappelle secret, ooh, I videoed Chappelle and succeeded. Like, that's because he's one of the gods.
0: But it won't even be that. It'll be the Hartford show where he went off on the crowd.
1: See what I'm saying? Yeah. So comedy is the godfather of – stand-up is the godfather of all that shit. But we ain't part of the new movement, man. We don't go viral. And specials are specials, but you got to be saying something. You got to reinvent – The way this shit is visualized, the way it's presented, the way it's sold. Uh, If if you can't reinvent what you're doing, reinvent how you sell it. So that's why I pay attention to these youngins, man. Like, comics love to shit on YouTubers. And, well, what they doing ain't real comedy. That's your opinion. Maybe it's not. We might think it's stupid. But guess what? That fucking 20-year-old sold out a 400-seat comedy club at $20 a ticket. At a club he can't even drink in. So... Yeah, he went up there and did some bullshit, and it was stock. and he was shitting in his pants because he can't cover 45 minutes, but he figured out a way to connect with people in a way that makes them want to come out and see him live.
0: Exactly, and if you did that same same path he did- And then gave a kick-ass live show? You'd be a fucking
1: star. Bitch, you'd be in a theater the next year. There's a kid that
0: I don't know his name. I I wish I did. I'd want to give him credit, but he did Chicago the week I was in Chicago, and he- sold out or maybe the week before but he sold out a noon Saturday show $100 a ticket. He walked with like
1: 40 grand. And you know the theater didn't think it was going to sell so they probably gave him a great 80-20 door deal or some shit. Yeah. Um there was another one um I think it's Miranda Sings. Dude. Wait, you, you uh hold on. We were in did you
0: did you do Just for Last Northwest a couple years ago? Mhm. We were <clears throat> me and you both did that. I sold what I was I was impressed. I sold like a four hundred seat theater, six hundred seat not, not a lot, but like I was like, fuck yeah. And I was peeling my oats. And I went up to that room where they had the little reception room where you could drink. Yeah. And they were talking about Miranda Sings. I think we partied there together, yeah. maybe. And they were they were like, Miranda Sings sold out not only that, she sold like forty grand in merch.
1: Yeah. Dude, comedy clubs would book her. I remember showing up, I think it was the Arlington Improv. And she came and did the Arlington Improv. Just like a six... I had an eight and ten o'clock show. Yeah. She's got the six o'clock show. I I get to the club at like 7.45. And it's just soccer moms and their daughters. And I'm like, who the fuck are these people? Why are they in my comedy club? And oh, shit. She was here. Gotcha. And by the time the eight o'clock show started, Miranda Sings was still in the lobby selling merch from her six o'clock show. Like... That's the type of person you don't insult. You go and you study them. Dude. You go and you break down, okay, good content delivered on a regular basis. It, it, comics, that's part of why we fail at the web. The regular, the, regular. It's the regularity of it. All you have to do, motherfucker, is just put this shit online this day and this day at this time. Every fucking day. Can't do it. That's why I don't podcast because I know I can't do it. Uh-huh. I, do. I had an opportunity. And it's, it's one of the things I still kick myself in the nuts on. I had an opportunity before YouTube became YouTube to do that. I was doing prank phone calls. That was my thing. Before I moved to L.A., I was doing morning radio while I was doing the road. Yeah,
0: where were you doing morning radio? I was
1: doing in Birmingham. I graduated in Tallahassee, Florida A&M, and I went back home to Birmingham, and I started doing prank phone calls. So, But what I was doing, I was taking my pranks. I was having trouble breaking in certain rooms in the South and in the Midwest. So... I figured out which which radio stations the comedy clubs advertise with, and then I figured out which DJ on that clock would be most likely to use my prank phone calls. So if they had a syndicated morning show, I couldn't fuck with the morning show, so I would do afternoon drive. So I would send prank phone calls. I had a nice little presentation packet, and I was like, man, this is 03. I'm mailing tangible CDs with labels I'm printing myself and color folders and I'm mailing this shit to radio DJs and I mail them like a five CD, a five prank call sampler CD. I go, hey man, if you like these, I can send you some every week. Just say my name on the radio. That's all I need you to do, man. Just say my name. And Holy fuck, that's so a So about genius. 20 stations bit. And so I was on about 20 stations around the Southeast and the Midwest. 20 turned to 40. And at the end of the year, I hit all of those comedy clubs. And I've been sending them material every six months like you're supposed to send a fax that's how long ago this was you'd fax your reveals and your headshot yeah but now i email these clubs and i go yo i'm on in your market i'm looking to do a show there um i'm looking to do a show in conjunction with the station um would you mind having me feature uh if not i understand maybe i'll catch you the next time i'm in town to do a show and i stepped to him from an angle of the show is happening motherfucker so, either it's going to happen at your room or it's going to happen somewhere else. And I didn't give two fucks because I wasn't working your room anyway. What are you going to do? Ban me? Yeah. So, and in those days, comedy clubs were less connected. So, you could piss off Wichita and still be able to work Tulsa. You know, yeah. there weren't yeah. as many. You know, the Looney Bands, there were Looney Bands and Funny Bones. So, you pissed off one room. Sometimes if there were a chain, all of them would ban you. But if I'm not working any of the fucking Looney Band clubs, what do I give a fuck? Yeah so i would email these clubs and most of all of them bit and that's how i started getting work in those God, markets it, you make me want to work harder like I, I think about that and i go i'm the only feature act you can book that has radio that can go do radio not even your headliner can get on this fucking station and you're not going to feature me i'll fucking i'll do a headlining show across the street just to fucking be an asshole yeah but they would feature me and all i wanted was feature work i wasn't asking to God, be headlined damn it hold on one sec
0: That makes that well. That makes sense in a weird way. Is that you are you're like a that you earned it that you like I, see. There's so many, I, I, All I think about is like is me and that at that time. Like, <laughs> I think okay. Let, I'll tell you. I'll, I'm going to put it this way. I, I, someone we were talking. I was talking to Kurt Metzger, and we were talking about racism in comedy. And I was I was trying to explain to him. I don't know if I did this in the podcast or after the podcast. I was kind of drunk. But I was I was trying to explain to him to be black and to headline uh, like Funny Bones or Improv's as an unknown is next to impossible unless you're an urban comic and that's what you sell to. If you got a name um, like like uh, like slap 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 that ass, yeah, then you could do it. But
1: to be, but do you do the, you do the Black Night, yeah, you do the Black Night in the mainstream week, and for me, I wasn't. I ain't never been no urban act. I, I do black rooms. I do black rooms because they would book me, and I started figuring out real fast when I started. You work in the south, man. You only getting up once a week per city, so you got to drive yeah. every other day. You got to hump five hours to go get ten minutes of material. So, one night it might be a black night. The next night is rednecks. The next night is mainstream. So you need a joke that, well, at least for me, I need a joke that works in all three rooms because I ain't gonna be writing a bunch of different fucking material
0: your act is your act is n- is who you are it's not i wouldn't say it's i wouldn't say it's technically like i i, I don't know i it, you're you're different you're definitely black your act is yeah. definitely black yeah, i talk race but, but, but it's but yeah but you're not but it's not um I, like, motherfucker
1: you and i put that mayonnaise on the, you put that mayonnaise on the pussy <laughs> you ain't put no mayonnaise on the pussy, boy. Like it's not that I'm not putting mayonnaise not that, on the but it's
0: it's not. But it's not like pandering. It's not like black guy going into a white room being like, like there's a couple black guys that I've worked with in the past where they're like,
1: uh, they code switch on you, and they become a different comic. Yeah, and it's like it's all of a
0: sudden they're like, I know what you're thinking, you're know, whatever, racist yeah. thing, and I'm I'm one of the good ones, and you're like, and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, that is not what I would. But but the fact that you hustled these rooms. And you got, and you did the work in your apartment, sent the work out, then chased down the work.
1: Not When you're on the south and the Midwest, you have a lot of time not performing. So you have a lot of time to figure out when is the next where, who books what. So the goal every month was perform in a different city. Just every month, find a different city to go tell a joke in. And by the end of the year, you got 12 new places to go fuck with for next year. So just in the exponentially, it'll grow. But what I didn't understand that I was doing at the time, and I wish I understood it, is that those rooms booked me because I added a marketing value to their bottom line. I was, no, there's no comedy club that was booking Miranda Sings because they thought she was funny. No disrespect to her or any YouTuber. It was, oh, she has a product. She has a following. We will be stupid not to book her. That's fucking and interesting. So, You're
0: totally right. No one it's, it, it's a bottom line marketing value.
1: Yeah. And I was doing that with prank calls way back when, and just didn't quite understand it. And when YouTube hit, I had a website set up where people could go and download pranks. If they missed them, people were taking my prank phone calls and putting them on YouTube and, It was just, to me, YouTube was just this thing. Like, what? You put videos? What? That's stupid. Fuck that. Just go to my website. Because remember, back in the day, you wanted your website to do hits so you could set up your Google AdSense and make a couple dollars on a Google Click ad. And to me, that was money. And that's, that's the downside of being away from L.A. or New York, is that you're not surrounded by enough comics that are in the know and understand the shortcuts and the little What's around the curve? What's next? You're behind. You're you're constantly behind the fucking curve on stuff, man. And I look back on that time period with a lot of regret because had I known what I known about YouTube, then I'd be a fucking beast, bro. And I stand beside that statement because my pranks at that time were like, this is when shit was going viral over email. Like you'd send an email attachment and you had to trust whoever sent it to you that it was a good fucking link and all of that shit. So, you know, I look back on that time with a lot of regret because I ignored tech. I didn't educate myself enough on it. And that's something that would have elevated me to another level. And I had this. I mean, my jokes then were definitely 2004 jokes, but I had enough of a live show and enough of a. Enough of a live show pedigree. That if you came strictly for prank calls, you weren't gonna leave disappointed that I wasn't funny. Yeah. So that's why, you know, fast forward to now, present day, I study the fuck out of anybody that's doing the internet the right way because I wanna know what I can do to help marry those two things. And that's what I was trying to do with the sports and the comedy. If anything, getting the Daily Show in a weird way got in the way. Cause it was like, wow, this is a golden opportunity. I can't say no to that, but fuck, I was making traction with the other stuff but it's like okay go here do it learn absorb yeah. grow as a comic and i've definitely it's definitely opened my fan base it's definitely gotten oh, a lot of it's people so I, fucking great I, I wouldn't have an hour special if i didn't book the daily show so,
0: someone said to me the other day they were uh they, i want to say it was like my 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 one of my wife's friends was talking about you a drop-off and i said wait how do you know him She's like, Are you fucking kidding me? I love The Daily Show. I watch it every single day. And I went, Oh, I like totally forgot. And in my head, I was like, Oh, fuck yeah. Like, People and that, watch it. that shit is.
1: Yeah, it's. It's a gold standard. And you know what, what I love about it now is that Trevor has been able to take what Jon Stewart did and put his own twist to it. You know, he's definitely not Jon Stewart, but thankfully he's not trying to be. Yeah. You know, the only thing I can compare it to is in sports. It's like when when Aaron Rodgers took over for Brett Favre. Yeah. And everybody goes, you're not Brett Favre. you you're, oh wait, you're good too, but you do it different. Like that's basically the arc of it is Trevor's coming in with a totally different perspective of American politics and surrounding himself with people with strong opinions as well. And that's been his approach to it. And you know, it's, I'm definitely nervous. I'm still nervous. Cause it's an institution. It's like fucking wearing Yankee pinstripes or something, bro. Like, I don't want to be the correspondent that fucks it up. Like, I don't want to, you know, when you look, when you look at all of the correspondents that have come before you and done amazing stuff and been able to do well with the show, it's like, huh? All right. So if you do this right for a little while, maybe you can open some doors for yourself, but first and foremost, do the job, right? So, I mean I spent the first month just watching old correspondent footage. They have dude, they have a vault of B roll of every single daily show interview that has ever been conducted. Really? I sat for a month. I watched as much of it as I could. It's so much shit, man. It's just it's a room probably the size of like a I don't know, a one bedroom apartment. And it's just racks and racks oh, and fuck. racks of tapes. And I'm watching Steve Carell B-roll. I'm watching the oh, first shit. year. of Give me Colbert. And that's what I told one of the ladies that runs a room. I go, I want to see a tape of Colbert first year. And I want to see a tape of Colbert from his last year. Oh, and, yeah. And just the raw, like the raw interview, like an hour, just an hour interview. And just I'll watch the piece that it was created from. And then I go back and just watch the one hour raw and see just the little things and the little tricks that they're doing. And everybody's strength can't be yours. But in watching it, you identify what all the different tools are. And so you start learning, all right, this guy does these four or five things, and they work for him. This guy does these things. So you start learning, all right, what are my four or five things? I think right now maybe I have one, (laughs) maybe two. Maybe (laughs) it takes time to learn the job for sure. But I'm having fun doing it, and thankfully, you know, we got a good election to really mine some great material from as well. You know, it would be interesting to see how The Daily Show would have transitioned in a non-election year and what that would have looked like.
0: Yeah, that's the crazy thing is you guys got – I mean,
1: this – It was a gift. It was a gift, dude. It's it's fucking – I mean, it's so – Everyone's so charged about this guy that – everybody's like what who said what what did he say what's the jokes so like everybody is like everybody's feet like trump is a dead whale in the political ocean and everybody's feasting oh. everybody's feasting this election is just that big carcass That i don't know if you saw the shallows <laughs> but it's no, i don't no, want to get all think, the shark no, movie I,
0: all I almost watched it on the plane
1: it's not bad it's a shark movie yeah so you know what it is. It's, oh, I'm in the water. Oh, I'm out the water. Oh, I'm in the water. Oh, it almost got me. I'm out the water. That's pretty much the pacing of every shark movie. And then every now and then a motherfucker don't get out the water in time. Yeah. So it's it's like there's a scene like that in The Shallows. But it's basically that. It's a big dead whale. And The Daily Show is feasting. Fallon is feasting. Seth Meyers, Sam B. Everybody's eating. And it's good. It's a good oh, times. Fucking
0: it's I can't I can't wait for it to be over personally because it's been it's like one of those things where it's like you know you watch you watch like you just you you see comics that you like that get real passionate about it and then start like fucking fuck those people and you're like they're people too
1: like yeah I'll never be that I, to me sports has definitely calmed me yeah because I, honestly I would I'm more scared of a sports zealot than a political zealot because I mean, people have done a lot of stupid shit in the name of sports. There's murders and stabbings every year because my team beat your team, or yeah, a Dodgers fan beats Dude, a Giants fan. You know that about Dodgers games, they're fucking sketchy. I waited to leave. We went to um, we went Dodgers Cubs last year when Arietta threw the no hitter, yeah. I stayed in the stadium until it was completely empty. As a, I'm not, I don't even want to be in a parking. <laughs> They're shutting the lights off. Yeah. I want like, everybody gone yeah. before I walk to the car because I might say something, he might say something. But at least with politics, it's a charged environment. Everyone talks shit, and then for the next three and a half years, people kind of go back to some level of calm and reserved disdain yeah. for the establishment. Whereas with sports, it's still I'll beat your ass on sight because I don't like your shirt.
0: Yeah, and that, you know? isn't that crazy that grown men get like that. We got Rams games. they are dudes that show up in Raiders gear to the Rams game. <laughs> and, the, and they'll say, like, how, hey, how long you been a fucking Rams fan, huh? Hey, you been? Are you a Rams fan for real? Hey, how long you been? How long you had that hat, eh? Hey? And you're like, you're like fuck. You're like, Did you really just come to a Rams? Dude,
1: I grew up selling sodas at Alabama games. They, Shut up. I grew up selling sodas. You
0: sold sodas at Alabama I games? I
1: was a stadium vendor at University of Alabama games in high school, and I saw the fights. I saw all the fights. University of Florida, and this is when 92, 93, 94, so this is when Florida was coming in and whooping ass. Like Alabama just come off the national championship, and the University of Florida was coming in just beating the shit out of them, and fans would fight in the restroom. They would fight in the concourses, and I was just like, this isn't that deep. Neither of you even go to this college.
0: That's the crazy part. When you go like Miami or Alabama, there's a lot of Alabama fans that, that don't even live in Alabama.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> it's it's a dude in a shirt catching a ball against another dude in a shirt catching a ball. Yeah, To me, that's crazier because at least a political zealot, at least their beliefs and their passion is rooted in, I believe this will change the country. And
0: this will change my life.
1: No matter who you agree or disagree with. All parties involved think that they're doing what is best for America. So they think they're coming from a genuine place. It's like a good villain in a way. Yeah. Whereas a guy who just goes, fuck your team for catching the ball more times than my team. I'm going to beat your ass. Who's more dangerous? To me, it's the guy with just no no motivation other than a ball yeah. to beat the shit out of you. So, yeah, I learned early on that it ain't that deep with sports. Hey, we see drunk fans guy almost fell over the top of the stadium. Like it's, People are crazy. Oh, so, what, so what are your teams? Uh, Cubs, Dolphins. Those are my two diehard. Really? Yeah. Like How did you I become a Dolphins fan? Did regional coverage, same way I became a Cubs fan. Really? You grew up in the South, it's the only thing on TV. Dude,
0: all we got were Cubs games. Yeah. We got Cubs games and Braves games.
1: problem with the Braves is that the Braves games came on at night, and my daddy wanted to watch Hunter and L.A. Law. So... <laughs> <laughs> he would. And we were one of those one TV households, so yeah. I didn't. I couldn't fight my dad for the TV. So, if you wanted to watch baseball, you could have a favorite team, but you ain't watching them till they play the Cubs.
0: Because Cubs, I don't know if this is. If this is accurate or this is how I remember it, the Cubs didn't have lights, so they played all their games during the day. Correct.
1: They didn't get lights until '88, and then after that, they still had to make a deal with the homeowners around the stadium to only play X number of night games. Yeah. So they have a predominant day day game home schedule. Yeah. So because that's of so that, crazy. We all got Cubs games in the south. Yeah. So in the middle of the day on a hot ass summer day, it's too hot to go outside. Sit inside, watch Ryan Sandberg, and around four o'clock go back outside and keep playing so so,
0: it's so crazy the the amount of uh the amount of uh almost i always say that i always say from i'm 43 that there is there was segregation still in the south and the fact that just everyone kept to the like there there were just black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods in florida that's how i remember it
1: but birmingham was like that
0: yeah like it was like it was st- it was it was integrated but it, and it was integrated and it was cool but it was still a weird
1: segregation. Birmingham was different though cuz we had we had <laughs> we had black neighborhoods and then we had white people in the black neighborhoods who couldn't yet afford to move out of the black neighborhood. <laughs> so they're mad that they were in a black neighborhood. Yeah. So you had white people who wouldn't talk to you. They still live in the neighborhood. Yeah. So it was like we moved to Birmingham when I was in the third grade. At, from where? From Memphis. And so, Are you we, the oldest? Uh, I'm the only. Uh, I got a bunch of older half brothers. I got oh, a bunch yeah. of old. My dad fucked a lot. I'm the only kid by my mom. <laughs> so yeah. it's Keep it black like that. <laughs> and So it was in the middle of white flight. So the ghetto was turning blacker. Crack was taking over. And there was just... Angry white people who just couldn't afford to leave, and they straight up wouldn't make eye contact with you walking down the sidewalk. It was some weird shit, man. Southern, Southern white,
0: uh Southern white pride, I guess it is, is an interesting. My wife uh lived, grew up right on the uh, on the border of Alabama and Georgia, mm-hmm. and a real twelve hundred people in her town. Is that Phoenix City or something? Uh, something. Bowden. Oh yeah and uh and i it 's really interesting, I think it 's the same distance between Birmingham and Atlanta, so you could fly out of either, yeah, so it was really interesting. It was like the the what racism was was it it was just bizarre like i don 't know i, I don 't know the right way to explain it because I only saw it as an adult from her, but like she would explain it to me, and it was like I, we didn't have that in Florida, Tampa was different. Tampa was just like so separate. But the one thing, this this one weird commonality that I just heard heard you say was that all us kids were all watching Cubs games. (laughs) Like, uh, here we are in Tampa and Alabama. We're both Cubs fans because we're We're watching – because that's the way the programming was. Like, I bet we had the same favorite professional wrestlers. Like,
1: Yeah, I I I even watched a Glow. I liked Ultimate Warrior. I liked George the Animal Steel. Coco, beware because he was black. I liked him better than Junkyard Dog.
0: I like Coco Beware. I like Lipa Lenny Poffo.
1: Yeah, dude. <laughs> I would watch wrestling and then do. Moves. I broke my mom's bed frame doing wrestling moves off her dresser oh, yeah. onto the bed onto imaginary wrestling opponents. Like just. I being got. A board. I got
0: spanked one time for giving my sister the claw. <laughs> Carrie Von Eric had the claw, <laughs> and I just would come and live in her. Be like, oh, I can't control it, and I smacked it on her head.
1: Yeah, but it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> but yeah, racism like in the south because Birmingham. I think it's 70% black. It's a predominantly black city. So I went to predominantly black schools. Um, Sixth grade, I got bussed out to an all white school. That was a very interesting experience. Um, But I didn't really encounter real, legit racism until high school when I played baseball and we would play schools from the county. Uh, That's when when you start playing these all white schools and, you know, we prided ourselves at Ramsey because a a lot of the city schools in Birmingham didn't take baseball seriously. Like there were times we would play my They was wearing jeans and not even wearing cleats and shit. And I don't know if it was a money issue or they just didn't care. So city schools were seen as inferior in baseball. Statistically, they were. But we were a team. We had our uniform. We had our shit together. We were a good team, and we pl- But be- they, but be- but because we were a city school, we were just seen as inferior. You're a city school. Fuck those niggers. But like, it was nothing to slide into second base and have a guy step on your hand and just mumble nigger under his breath and then just throw it. And the ump doesn't hear it, or the ump hears it and doesn't care. Yeah. So it's little like it was shit like that. That's when I started like, oh fuck, like. You hear about racism. You read about it. They take you to the museums. But to literally be called nigger and then not only be called nigger, but you can't even do shit about it because your team is down three runs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of want to you don't want to get thrown out of the game. Yeah. So you got to take it. So you start figuring out we figured out little ways to fuck with them. Like We would do. Oh, my God. And this is where, like, I think my comedy started coming from. Because I rode the bench a lot. And so I started figuring out real fast, you could call me, you could call us any of those words. But, like, a teammate, like, say somebody got called a rounding first base or something. Yeah. They would come back to the dugout and report to me and the other bench warmers. Who is it? Number 14? Okay. And we would ride his ass for the next two hours. Anytime he came up to bat. Anytime he touched the ball. Like, shit that would, like, legit get us it would qualify as bullying or verbal abuse. Now oh, yeah. we would lay into these motherfuckers. And that was probably like the first legit open mic. Cause you could see the parents in the crowd laughing and we're obliterating this kid's self-esteem. Fuck you. And everything you stand for my god, If Facebook was out, Oh, then <laughs> bitch, I would Facebook. about. I like, I hear stories of fans doing that to players. Now at the pro level, I'm like, it's wrong to harass it. I get it. Like I would do my homework on you and I would eviscerate you, your girlfriend, your pet dog, whoever. So like all that joning and playing the dozens and cracking on people, yeah. that was the origin point of it. And I probably got to really tip my hat to racism for helping me find my <laughs> sense of humor. Like, we would slap people in the face. Like if I played first base, like if you call my teammate a nigger and you're on first base. I would go over to the mound and I would just call for five pickoff throws. At some point in this sequencing, I need five pickoff throws. And each time you slid head first back into the bag, I'd slap you as hard as I fucking could in the ear hole of your helmet Yeah. because of the air displacement. And the, you literally can make a man dizzy Yeah. if you constantly hit him in the ear hole of the helmet by forcing air into the ear canal. I slap you four or five times. This motherfucker's woozy. He's damn near standing on the base. He's so scared. Yeah. So you start learning ways to deal with it because, you know, for for all that racism is, I think I'm of that first generation that could kind of retaliate a little bit and kind of say, fuck you, nigga. but fuck you fucking whitey. Like, yeah, without fear of ass whooping or lynching. So there was something if there's anything I don't know if that's what Malcolm and Martin were fighting for.
0: They had that in mind. I have a dream.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We can talk shit back to these motherfuckers. That's all we're looking
0: for. Just just fucking equality and talking shit.
1: So, I mean, there was racism, but we had opportunities to get our licks in, too. So I never felt that fear. I mean, of course, there's certain rules you abide by. You always have your ID with you, you travel in groups. And when we were going out to county games, the parents wouldn't let us drive alone. If you were a senior, you took. if you were an underclassman, you wrote with a senior, like, there was strength in numbers. So it's yeah. just little rules like that, that we had to kind of,
0: and in how they grew up. There was like, I can't imagine yeah. what it would, what, what it must've been like to be like your parents age or my, my parents age and be, be black in the South and know that there is no safety.
1: There's and nothing you can do.
0: That That is,
1: I saw a black kid walking out of a store with just something in his hand. And I guess I assume his parent paid for it or whatever. But in the back of my head, as a black man, like all kinds of alarms are going off, and I'm thinking, man, and I have a five month old now, and I'm thinking about my son and what, how to not get fucked up by racist rules. I'm gonna have to teach him, and one of them is you can't leave a store with just shit in your hand. Like I have a bit about it, but it's the truth. Like yeah. as a black man, the bag that's like that's your freedom papers to get your out of the store. Paper. You need a bag and a receipt at all times just to not give people a reason to bother you and mess with you. You know, I didn't really experience real racism. I don't think um, outside of that until I got on the road, man. When I started performing and started performing in all these redneck rooms and motherfuckers wouldn't shake my hand after the show. or There was always like a table full of fucking hillbillies who wouldn't laugh. And, you know, yeah. I had a table kicked out of a show. I At an eight top I was in Asheville, North Carolina, it was a hotel gig, one of those you know hell yeah. gigs and it was an eight top that wouldn't shut the fuck up and I had them kicked out and as i'm and as they're walking out the room, they call me a nigger and I'm on stage and I like literally like You know, and I don't have my baseball teammates. I can't go, hey, give me five (laughs) pickoffs. Slap them in the head. It was a surreal moment, man. And, you know, the room, for the most part, rallied around me. But then I ended up getting banned from the room because as a feature act, you don't have the authority to kick out my paying customers. Are you fucking serious? Fucking ridiculous. to me, the nigger, the dude who called me nigger isn't the villain. It's the person who banned me from the room. It's like, you cosign on that? Like, that's why when I look at Trump, Trump is a more dangerous racism, like dangerous racist because he can legislate. You have the ability to change laws. That's real racism. Yeah. Somebody yelling nigger out the truck or, you know, God forbid, attacking a black person. That stuff is horrible and it's wrong. But to me, the far greater danger is the person with the pen and paper and the ability to go, you know what? Let's just move all the voting registration days to this day to these centers. Like in Alabama, they closed a bunch of the voting centers in the poorest counties because they don't want poor people voting because poor people vote Democrat. And Alabama is a red state. Really? So, yeah, to get your voting ID card, you have to go to this center that's an hour oh, away, but you're poor and there's no mass transit, so good luck figuring out how to fuck to get over to the other county to register to vote. That is institutionalized racism. Exactly. So that whoever created that policy, give me the motherfucker that's calling me nigger in the back of the comedy club because he can't do shit. He's just angry and yelling. So when you look at somebody like Trump, they go, oh, well, he's a racist. He ain't racist in the sense of let's go fucking build a wall to get these wetbacks. He's just saying that shit to get the fucking truck racist on his side. That, Trump dude, is that, real legislated. That's like, what fucking bigotry. Kurt said the most genius thing last night. He's like, I don't think Trump's racist.
0: I think he likes playing the race with the racists. He likes stirring up the racists and going, hey, yeah, you want, you want to fucking co-opt my ideas? Let's do it yeah exactly it's like hey I, this is
1: a real easy group to manipulate yeah what can I say to get them on board oh I know build a wall yeah build a wall yeah you got our vote it's the same thing with Obama rapists like, and murderers like people think everybody loves Obama off of policy like there's plenty of black people that voted for Obama simply because they saw him fucking shoot a jump shot and it was like fuck it he plays basketball <laughs> you know, that was like the black people build a wall yeah <laughs>
0: It's so just jump shot. Okay, yeah, I got it.
1: Yeah. So you know, it's just
0: he's a good basketball player. Like, there's a lot of people that suck at basketball. He looks pretty when he plays basketball, mm-hmm. and that is a that is that is a like I know for a fact. I I never thought of it that way, but when I saw him shoot a jump shot, I went, "Oh, he can play."
1: He looks like he used to play good back yeah, in the day. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I was like, oh, that's really okay, cool. smooth. I like them now. <laughs> but yeah, it's just things like that. When I got on the road, that's when I got really cognizant of racism because I was doing comedy in a lot of strange places. I was driving way too fast. I got pulled over on a regular. So, you know, you're in, you, you got out of state plates and I'm a comedian, sir. And I'm young. I started, I was 19. So I'm like fucking 21, really? 22. And these weird ass Georgia counties. I'm getting pulled out of cars by gunpoint, having my car going through up and down and, your shit strewn across the freeway and the state trooper just goes, Have a nice day, and just drives the fuck off. And now you're on the freeway putting your shit back in your car for an hour. And I go, Oh, I think that dude was racist. Yeah. Or he's just kind of a, like it was like it wasn't even about speeding. It was just you're bla like to the point now, Bert, when I ride on the freeway, like I love fitted hats. I don't wear wear them while I'm driving. If I get in a car, I take my hat off. Just so that on the off chance, on the freeway, some cop is sitting in a speed trap and sees me speed by, maybe you won't profile me off the strength of the fucking hat. Just, oh. you learn 18 years and half a million road miles, you start learning
0: like little... it's the fucking hat. Like Yeah,
1: this God, goddamn hat it, keeps so... getting me fucking pulled over, or... I went through a stretch for a while where I would wear a blazer when I drove in case I got pulled over, but the shit's too uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> like, you like, oh shit, officer, put I'm on business. As put you your can, hands out of the car. I'm putting on my blazer, sir. As you can see from this blazer, sir. So. <laughs> shit, man, I almost got um, locked up, but it was I was dead to rights on this one. I fucking I went to this chick's house. It was a booty call gone awry. And like two white cops roll up, and it's so backstory. So I'm doing a show in I don't know. I think it was Toledo. What's it's not Toledo? What's south of Detroit? Is it Akron? Uh, no,
0: that's Toledo. It's Dayton. No, uh, it's it's Toledo. Yeah, it's Toledo. Toledo. South of Detroit. It's so funny, I just learned that the other day.
1: So I'm supposed to go down to Cincinnati to fly out. And I was kind of, you know, fooling around with this chick in Columbus at the time, and she, you know, straight up booty call. I'll be real with what it was. Hey, come through. I'll be home around two. It'd be nice to see you before your flight. Cool, no problem. Yeah. Hit the road. Get a text from her. She's drunk, and she sends me a picture of her. Sends me a picture of her panties. Then she sends me a picture of the panties on the floor. Like, just, like, just, like, it's that sunny? <laughs> Exactly. So, so I speak. Because you see the panties, then you see the panties in the floor, You're like, yeah. You're fucking heavy. You're like, oh, shit. Dude, I pull up at this chick's house at, like, fucking like 2.30 in the morning. And I call, and she doesn't answer. I knock on the door, and she doesn't answer. And it's fucking freezing. It's, like, fucking I don't know, dude. It's like fucking 10 degrees or whatever. So I've got on the skull cap. I've got the mask joint. The, like, I have I don't even know if it's a condition. I don't know what it is, bro. But I got a condition where if my eyes are exposed to really, really cold air for extended periods of time, I get um an irritated uh mucus membrane. Yeah. So it's like I don't know if it's like a sty or what, but like basically I get watery eyes for like a week and a half because my eyes were too cold because really? it became inflamed. Yeah. So sometimes I would, if, I, if I'm going to be outside for more than five, 10 minutes, I throw on goggles or shit, something to break the wind. Yeah. So I got goggles on. I got on a skull cap. I got the ski mat, <sighs> like the front thing that covers your face. You're just cold, but you also happen to be black. I look like special ops <laughs> and I got the backpack. I got my laptop because I don't want to leave my laptop in the fucking hood in a rental car. <laughs> black jacket the whole wop and I'm knocking on this door and this chick won't fucking open. She won't fucking open the door, bro. And so I hop the fence and I figure all right, maybe she left the back door open. Back door's closed. I hop back as so I'm coming back over the fence. Freeze, motherfucker and I bet you better not fucking move. And some the fucking cops and somebody's called in a suspicious person's report on me. And so they fucking cuff me on suspicion of burglary and I'm in the back seat of the car and they're going through my laptop bag and I'm you know, looking for burglary tools yeah and, like, it's just your laptop and I'm trying to explain to him sir I'm a comedian um if you look at my bag you will see my map. this is back when fucking MapQuest bro this yeah. is like fucking I'm printing my MapQuest directions because GPS wasn't quite the shit on yeah, the yeah, phone yeah, yeah. yet Sir, as you can see, my map quest directions there. I have clearly headed to Cincinnati. And then he wasn't hearing none of that shit. He goes, shut the fuck up. And like every time I try to say something, his reply is shut the fuck up. Like not even giving me an opportunity to explain myself. And I don't know if that's some power move that cops do to assert whatever the fuck. But it's you came over a fence. I know what this is. I have it figured out. I'm a cop. You shut up. I'm just checking this for drugs to decide what to charge you with or yeah. whatever. And the other cop is in the car. You got one car, one cop outside on the hood, putting all my shit on the hood. And the other cop is inside the car and he's taking out my information. And I go, yo man, just look at my phone. Please. I'm telling you, I'm supposed to be here. Just look at my fucking phone. And the cop in the car looks at my phone, and sees the panties and her address, and they fucking let me go. And it shut up. They're like, clearly she's not. In- whatever, whatever. She's not interested. Leave this place. That was his words. Leave this place. Yeah. Like on some, you shouldn't even be here. I don't know. It, it was the hood, but I mean, whatever it was, it was on some. We almost fucked your world up. Yeah. But we didn't leave. And and you know I can't say that. I can't say those cops were racist, but I definitely, definitely feel like Penny saved my life. Like, <laughs> like she was fucking did, fast forward to the next day. She was shit face drunk and didn't hear me knocking. And she was already passed out. God. But those cops, it's too high. Like they were not fucking with me, bro they weren't trying like there was nothing to be reasoned with nothing there's, to discuss there's a and, there's
0: there's like a thing that happens in this in the world that i think white people don't understand which is if you're black and cold and you bundle up you look like you're breaking into house.
1: <laughs> especially when you have fences yeah right? <laughs> You know, it's, and and that's not to say that I haven't had bad run ins with black cops. I mean, it's, I think it's more of a power thing with the bad cops that exist. I got two badges in my families. I've done ride alongs with um, my cousin. You know, he works, I don't say where, but he's in Mississippi. And I got another one in Illinois. And they're good, upstanding black gentlemen who want to fight to fucking make the world a better place. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's weird when you're not sure how much your blackness is playing into a situation. So sometimes when you're in a weird place, the first instinct is to tone it down. Like I, I don't rent cars with out of state plates. I don't, I don't rent cars with tags different from the state that I'm performing in. Really? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that because they, you see- I just don't want no reason for you to follow me, bro. To, I want you to see me and see almost, a regular ass car. If I'm in Nebraska, I want a Nebraska plated car when I pull out the Enterprise lot. Yeah. Because I don't want no shit. Because I just, I don't
0: know. That is know. so, it, that is, th- there, I had a, I think, I think probably the most racist thing I've ever done in my life consistently is not listen and not pay
1: attention. Not listen to black women.
0: And not, not just not pay attention to like <laughs> shit like that. This, when I was turning, I think I was turning forty. This is three years ago, almost four years ago. I was I was not drinking for a period of time, uh, no reason at all. Just I was home and I just wasn't drinking. And our 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 friend called, who's black, and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" It's like it was like ten o'clock at night. I said, "Nothing. I'm just getting ready to go to bed." And he goes, "I need your help. Our dog got out, and I I can't go looking for him." And this is right around the Trayvon Martin time. Oh shit! And I went, I went, what? And he goes, our dogs got out, the girls are losing their mind, they're falling apart, and I cannot go out in today's society with a flashlight walking around the neighborhood. People will think things. And he's like, I need you to either go with me or you to just do it by yourself. And I was like, it, dude. I was like, holy shit! Yeah, you can. Because I, (laughs) by the way, I, I, I was walking around I, we, I, we ended up going together we ended up splitting up like we just going like like one one direction one direction yeah. and I was going in the back of a house calling for the dog like the driveway looking in the driveway what time of night is this how late 10 o'clock 10.30 at night Shit. woman comes out and sees me and says is everything okay and I said my friend lost his dog we're looking for his dog she got out of her house and she started looking <laughs> <laughs> do you think that would have happened with him Fuck no, it, no and that blew me away, and I remember getting back in bed with my wife. At, like we ended up finding the dog. The dog was in the house the whole time under a fucking bed. Jeez, and we get we end up finding the dog, coming home, and I remember just being blown away. Like there's moments like that in my life where I've been blown away that I never really. I never looked at anyone else's story. Like, there was no – I'd say empathy is the wrong word. Like, I didn't have empathy for anyone, but I just never paid attention.
1: Yeah, but is that racist or is it just being oblivious? And I feel like that is where we are as a society now where – there's some white people who just don't know they just didn't know. And then people go, you racist motherfucker. It's like, "Eh." well, all this stuff you're talking
0: about, like getting pulled over about wearing a ball cap and having in state plates and all this stuff. And then I think there's so many people. I mean, if you look at my Facebook wall that it, it is so many people that it's like, it's like black people need to learn how to get pulled over. I was taught how to get pulled over by my father. You have your hands on the interior light on. And I'm like, I bet if you got pulled over, I bet if you got pulled over ten times a month or or whatever it is, I bet it would start getting old. I bet it would start getting like you'd be like, I get it, I'm doing all the right
1: things, but ask Steve Byrne next time you um you see him, ask him the story about us getting pulled over coming back from San Diego on a Sullivan and Son show. We got I was driving, we all rode together. We got pulled over um I don't know, somewhere on the four oh five, we we're near Long Beach, or we we're damn near back to LA as I'm pulling over interior lights on all four windows down and Owen Benjamin's in the car. He goes, dude, what are you doing? I just go, trust me. And my move, when the cops come, um, I open my sunroof, right hand out the sunroof, chilling on the sunroof, left hand on the side view mirror, because I want both of my hands in clear view of the camera that's on the dash. Yeah. Like that's, it's just protocol. And the windows are already open. So that there's no bullshit about what was the window like the shit that's happening right now with the guy that got shot in Oklahoma City. Well, was he was he reaching in the car? Was he re- like, yeah. d- 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 like, nah, man, you're not going to do that to me. It's the window was clearly open. It's like you have to think about stuff like that. And a lot of people, if you don't live like that, you don't have to think like that. Like I have Indian friends and they tell me stuff that they go through. And as a black man, I'm like. Oh, damn, I didn't think that. It, like, you're just, you're only concerned with your walk because that's what's important to you every day. So yeah. it's cool that a lot of what's happening is happening now in the country and it's opening people's minds a little bit more to what's going on. You know, that's the upside to, like, the, this new generation of
0: What a great kids. opportunity, though, for you to be in it. You're on the one show that has the one listenable voice to, sh- to talk about social to talk about what's going on in society like how fucking
1: badass is that dude i i sit and i go back and forth with like making sure that i balance the stories that i do with you know stuff that matters as a whole and then also looking at it from a perspective of you know as a black man whether i want it or not man i got a responsibility to talk about a lot of this black stuff because nobody else is going to tackle it like me. They're not going to hit it like me. They're not going to be able to bring the perspective to it that I can. And there's literally no other black correspondent on the show right now since Jessica Williams left. And until they replace her, it's on me. So I think, I think, when the, and the
0: one thing that you have that a lot of people, like the biggest problem in comedy right now, in my opinion, are people um getting behind an agenda and forgetting that the reason they're on stage is to make people laugh one of the things that you have this fucking undeniable is a just a natural sense of humor where if you do take a subject like that and tackle it you you would tackle funny first agenda second like yeah you, like that's the that that is the one thing that i i feel like with young comics these days it's like, like i'm right i'm right i'm right i'm right punchline yeah
1: It's the other way around, bro. It's punchline, 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 punchline. And as you see from these punchlines, I am right. That is, man. That's what Carlin used to do. Carlin can make you laugh at stuff you didn't even agree with. That's the point of comedy.
0: There's so many times that I, like, and I guess you get jaded. We get jaded the longer we're in it. So you can say something completely outrageous. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there going, what's this? Where's the, like, where's it going to be? Yeah. But, like, when I first got in here and I'd, I'd hear, I remember Jim Norton told a joke and he was like, uh something about a sniper, and he was like, there was a sniper, you know, and a lot of people want to talk bad about the sniper. I've been in his shoes. I bet his parents are proud of him or something like that, and I just was like <laughs> – I was like, oh, what a different – it was so neat to see that different perspective. And I, I, I haven't spent a ton, ton of time, but the stuff I see online, I know – and I'm not going to name names, but there's a lot of comics who just want to basically say I'm a good person. I'm vegan. I'm uh, – pro lbgt there's no joke in this at all but i just want you to know i'm very good
1: and those and those people are progressing and growing and they have an audience but i just feel like the first comic that does what they do with more punchlines, yeah you are now irrelevant and that's your fault because you had the bacon first you let them come and take it from you so when you start prioritizing perspective over humor, you're you're in a losing battle because someone's gonna come and out funny Because at the end of the day, people just want to laugh. So
0: it's like you look at Patrice. Patrice is one of my one of my favorites. He, his 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 fucking he'd say really aggressive shit, but back it mm-hmm. up with a
1: joke. I think you should be allowed allowed to sexually harass women, and everyone's like, "You go what?" what? The fuck? And then he takes you on a ten minute. Journey of justification and
0: and by the way he really wanted to sexual harass women like yeah there was a, I mean that's a agenda as agenda driven as any social justice warrior Patrice was agenda driven
1: and women you could look at the crowd and see women laughing
0: yeah because it was because he he said I'm not going to say this unless it's funny this is how I feel I'm going to figure <laughs> out
1: <laughs> God I wish I had the guts I was with him in London and. It's so me, Patrice, Arena Franklin, and a couple of local comics from London. I Arena mean, really funny. And I don't, this is my first time interacting with Patrice. I'm not going to front like he and I were best friends or some shit. Like I knew him professionally. We see each other. Hey, yeah. hey, how you doing? Like, yeah. He goes up in a room, some random Jamaican room in London. So it's like not only is it Def Jam, but it's like Def Jam and foreign Def Jam. Yeah and just does like 30 minutes off of the room and the people in the room and it's real it's opinions like it was still comedy but it was like yeah. fresh baked like i don't even know how to explain it man it was like watching somebody make a meal in front of you from scratch fuck just pulling yeah. together ingredients
0: i got a shoelace i got a yeah. i got a rock and you're like oh this is a good soup
1: yeah like it was it was a legit great master's class on how to just speak your mind. And then from those opinions, that's where all the humor comes from. But, you know, we live in an era where, you know, it's, it's a lot of bloggers posing as comedians. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of, you know, comics out there that I feel like if I took your set and put it on paper, verbatim, it would be a great think piece. It would be a great written,
0: be a good jumping off place.
1: Yeah. But, it lacks some of the punchlines, but you know, I just I'm learning, Bert. Man, eighteen years, I just I don't get mad or bitter or angry. Like everybody's running their own race, so whatever you're doing, if you think that works for you, hey man, cool. I think you're gonna have a problem professionally in about five years when things when the next when the next you comes up and they can do what you're doing but funnier, you're fucked. Or they have because, a marketing plan behind them. Or they're more original than you. Like yeah. that so if you're lacking any of those things, you're vulnerable to being taken over because of any of the comics that you can name, if we start talking gods, if we start talking guys that are legit selling tickets doing well at a sustainable level of five to ten years or longer, I'm not even in that discussion yet. But those guys that are, no two no none of those comedians are similar. None of them have similar stylings, yeah. none of them have similar takes on anything so you can be similar now but sooner or later you're going to figure you got to figure out how to be unique motherfucker or you're expendable and you will be gone and i look at the droves of comics that fuck man you know and and it's frustrating because you see guys who you know are good and better than what they choose to do on stage yeah you know man i can tell you stories about when we used to bt's comic view man we used to go and do um, – we would watch Comic View tapings back in the – this is how Janky BT was back in the day. Oh, janky. Dude, <laughs> niggas could show up <laughs> to Comic View taping and just get on if someone that was taping just said, yeah, he's funny, make sure he gets on. Really? So you would go to New Orleans hoping to be chosen as – call it an alternate slot you want to be chosen as an alternate because so-and-so didn't show up or somebody bombed in the previous taping. So we need another comedian to make up for the bomb. So we went to the Orpheum theater in new Orleans, the year that Bruce Bruce was hosting comic view party, Gras. And you would sit in the lobby and you had like your two suits, you had your two wardrobe choices yeah, and you had them already dry cleaned and pressed. And you sat in the lobby all night, all day hoping to be chosen as an alternate and you would just sit and talk comedy with all of these different... It was mostly black acts. It was predominantly black acts, but... And was, Gary Owen. Yeah, and Gary Owen. But Gary <laughs> Owen was already booked. Yeah, he yeah. See, yeah. was probably... He ended up hosting the season. Gary Owen, Since by it, the way, is one of the sweetest guys in the fucking Oh, world. he's fucking awesome, One of the dude. greatest guys. Watch his reality show, Tuesday nights on BET. I think is it 9.30, 10.30 Eastern. Yeah. Um, but I would see all these guys, and... I just saw this obsession with working black rooms with so many black comics. so many black comics were just focusing on working black rooms and so when I started, I was like there's more rooms that there's not a there's only so many black rooms, and black comedy is set up where there's really only one king of the hill at the time there's a king of hill there's the king of the hill and a couple of heir parents, yeah, and then there's everybody else, like the Shack roast has kind of created another tier yeah of Prominent black comics who can go out and work But we're all Here to do comic view to gun For one of the six Positions that is available in black comedy Right now even now Kevin Hart's top of the heap you got Mike Epps and Cat Williams when He feels like it he comes down from the comedy Mountain yeah. and does some shit And then you probably have D-Ray, Corey Holcomb, Tony Rock and a lot of other people that Have done the shack Rose that are really not capable. There, you, there you go. You Tiffany see what Haddish. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's, Haddish is next. Rail is next, but Rail is even more. I would put him more mainstream, and even Haddish too. She's kind of crossed over a little bit a little, more. Yeah,
0: I think she's crossed over. So
1: I was sitting there, and I'm like, I'm looking at all these comics, and I'm like, nobody's doing anything that's unique, and I'm not. I, I man, I'm not. I ain't no fucking comedy genius, man. But the only thing I ever tried to do was something different from what everybody else was doing because I figured that would probably get me booked faster. So if I'm as funny as you, if we're both equally funny, but I'm talking about suicide and you talking about putting mayonnaise on the pussy, <laughs> I'm gonna get booked before you because there aren't a lot of black comics talking about suicide. And
0: the, and the, those showcase things, man, that really shines like. Just how much of your material is original or not. When I did The Last Comic Standing 2, nine of us had – I got pulled over by a cop joke. (laughs) 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 And I was like, fuck, man. I got pulled over. That's my opening act. That's my opening bit. And it was just – and you were like, wow, man. I'm not writing original. I'm writing just what everyone else is writing.
1: Yeah. You figure out ways to make it even more – or you just change – just change the the vessel in which you deliver it because that joke isn't about getting pulled over. The joke is about an interaction you have with the cop. Why the fuck does it have to be in a car? Put it in a mall. Yeah. Put it in a fucking store. I saw a cop in a store. I didn't know he was he, like – and yeah. you proceed down the same joke path. So, man, I used to watch Comic View, man. I would fucking watch that shit, bro. And I would make a list. I watched two straight seasons of Comic View and I just made a list of every topic that was touched on that night. And at the, That's so smart. And at the end of the season, I looked at the topics and I went, okay, no jokes about these topics. So yeah. no fat girls, no sex, no I'm so broke, no credit, no black people do this, white people do that. Like no raggedy car jokes, no fucking price of gas. Jo- like I just made a list of shit. I just, That's I'm not going to joke so about smart. this shit. I'm going to figure out a way to make these jokes funny because if nothing else, when I go showcase for Comedy Central... At least I'm talking about something different. Even if I ain't as funny as you, fuck it. I'm talking about something different. If you look at half the comics that do get chances now, they're more different. They're as different as they are hilarious. If you look at the – just go look at the gamut of – because I'm sure comics are listening to this shit. Look at the gamut of comics that have done Conan or James Corden in the last five years and tell me anything that's similar about any of them. Yeah. They're all different. And there ain't nothing like any of them anywhere else. So the real example should be Rory Scovel.
0: Rory Scovel is one of the most holy original, fuck, bro. one of the most original. Everything he does is totally different than anything anyone's doing ever. That guy is one of the most original comics working.
1: I sat in the Orpheum, man. I say all of that to say this. I'm sitting in the Orpheum in comic view waiting to hopefully be chosen as an alternate. I don't really know enough black comics at that time. You know, I wasn't in the loop, you know. But I'm just looking at all these guys and I'm just like, Y'all don't get it. Like you're writing to a like this is if you continue down this path with this type of material, there's a there's it's finite. We gotta elevate, You gotta do more. No nah, man, I'm gonna do this joking and this joking. And, that. and there's a place for all types of humor, but man, there's more money where I'm trying to go, you know, it's more opportunities. You know, it is a fucking log jam to get to the top of black comedy. Of just comedy. But
0: yeah. black comedy has less opportunity. You're completely right.
1: stages. There's no... They, they just brought back Def Jam again for the first time in eight years. It's back on. And I guarantee you half of those slots were already gone before the announcement was made. Yeah. So if you're new young black and funny that's hard man that's a very specific skill set and a lot of those guys that i saw back in those days man they're not working anymore or they're barely working i worked with a guy who was
0: so talented his name was damn fool i don't know if he's still doing it uh uh-huh and I, I remember telling him, I was like, hey, man, like, you don't have to be damn fool. I remember saying that in the green room to him. And we were both younger. This is a long time ago. And I, I, mean, I don't know if he still goes by damn fool. But I remember saying, you don't have to be damn fool because that's really going to fucking handcuff you in getting into white rooms. Like, no white person will ever go buy a ticket to see damn fool because you're just, as a white person, I'm saying, honestly, you go, I don't want to go to that show. That show's going to be chaos. They're going to pick me out. I'll be the one. Why you per- like, it just, it, it, it fucking limits your, your thing. And he was so funny that I was like, but he was in his, his perspective. Oh, he's was, crushing
1: it. LA He's winning contests, all that stuff. And yeah. It's just once you commit to that, it's like okay, that's the road you want to go down. Yeah. Hey man, and,
0: and, go and, fucking crush that shit. I'm sure he could say the same thing to me. Why don't you have more flavor in your name? Why don't you fucking? Why are you going by Burt Kreischer? Who the fuck wants to be Burt Kreischer? Why don't you just Bert? But I remember being like, and, I, and this was my white perspective. But I was sharing it with him in the green room in fucking Michigan. And we were at uh, <laughs> we were in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I was like, dude, I go, what's your name? Like, <laughs> <can> just, <laughs> just go by your name because you're so funny. I was like, I was like, I kept saying like Dave Chappelle could have easily been a damn fool, but he chose Dave Chappelle, and we all know Dave Chappelle, and he can do exactly what you're doing, and it's a, like in my head I was like, it. I remember trying to change my name to just Bert at one point. I just wanted to be Bert, and it did not work. They'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, your feature for the act for the for this evening, Bert. Just and it would Bert. just be silent no one would applaud and they go you're a headliner they They were waiting for a last fucking name
1: yeah damn fool is good my thing is like when comics choose that path hey man more power to you fuck yeah and he's got the jokes to fucking because there's guys really talented there's guys that make it out of it like there's Lil Duvall who's running rampant on MTV and MTV Two. you got Charlemagne the God you got shawty Shoddy on wild and out so I mean did you know Cat Williams original name was the cat in the hat he used yeah. to perform, at bitch. Go Google that shit. Cat in the hat. The cat. The cat in the hat. The cat, cat, cat in the hat. And he used to do. He would do comic view, and he had this weird top hat on. And his persona was still pimping, and still what he is now. Yeah. But he was the cat in the hat. I don't know when he changed it to Cat Williams, but God he's one of my favorite comics
0: that. to ever watch. I love watching him.
1: Yeah, I just know that for me, I recognize that what I do comedically. I wasn't going to get to the top of that, and I just felt like the line was shorter over here. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that I felt like could do both. You could be black and do black rooms and not have to be a quote unquote black comic. But yeah, but, that, but and, that's the other thing is that like like there's. I just you, wish more guys had figured that out, man. Because there's so many good guys that are just left in the dust now.
0: So many so many I'm glad to hear damn fools working because he really was he featured for me and I had a hard time following him the entire week and it was like and it wasn't pandering bullshit it was original material and I was like and but in, in my perspective short-sighted you know it's like I guess if you're gonna work black rooms you need a name that stands out you can't yeah if you
1: gonna work black go black <laughs> like matter of fact be damn fool motherfucker like add motherfucker to the, modify your damn fool <laughs> But yeah, Roy. Cedric Junior. the
0: Entertainer, you know that's the Cedric the Entertainer. His newest special is fucking fantastic. Yeah,
1: the Netflix joint came out with a band with a band. Yeah. Fucking who comes on stage up? with a marching band? Got me next special, <laughs> dude. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. For, like, I, like you ever have a joke that starts from? Let me ask you about your writing process because your style is so different. Yeah, it's extreme. To like some of the. The cur like the corners you'll take. Like, do you start with the premise, and then figure out how to make it funny, or do you start with, "Oh, this is funny. Now, how do I, how do I make a point to this? How do I add? How do I birdify?" So this mo- thought or observation.
0: Most of it is, I'll have one funny thing in it. There'll be one funny thing. So like, um. Like the story with Ralph Sampson, the like it's just it, there was one there was one funny part in it, that, and it was just that he I it, the whole point was, and this is happened to me a couple times is the short story in short is Ralph Sampson comes to to our basketball camp and he's trying to give a speech about discipline and it's all it's predominantly black kids and <laughs> and he says who in here parties and I I thought we were all going to raise our hands. <laughs> and I was the only one who raised my hand. That moment is real for me because I remember that moment. And I remember being like, fuck, I didn't need to raise my hand. And there was like three other times in my life where I've raised my hand and I didn't need to raise my hand. And I was like – "So, th- so and, and I've recognized that. So I was like, that's the jumping off part. And then, then, then there were yeah. three parts after that that, w- that worked really well in my opinion. And so I was like, okay, so I got these three. Now I need a way to get into it. And I, and my big thing that I struggle with is a, is a – I need an end to this story. And so if I just tell it enough, I'll find things. Like I went ziplining with my daughters. This, this is a new bit I'm working on. And Isla, my, my, this is the only funny part to me was that Isla, my youngest, who's a little fucking out there, she was not paying attention at all. And she clipped in to go ziplining. She clipped into the middle of a Vietnamese family. <laughs> and I just was like, it's this great moment. <laughs> but what the fuck are you doing? And, 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 and in that process, I had gone spelunking with my wife. And I had this like – this feeling that I connected with as a child where I was like – where you get em- embarrassed of your team. Like I remember <laughs> being with my parents and being like, I'm cooler than these people. Like, yeah. And people would look at me and I go, this isn't representative of me. I'm better than them. And I had that same feeling <laughs> with my family. <laughs> And I was like, I'm on TV. These guys are like, I'm better than this. Like they don't like, and
1: so treated like an adopted white kid with a Vietnamese family.
0: And so I, uh, and so then I'll take that one thing and I'll work, I'll work it from there. And it just is, you know, I I give this, I credit this to Rogan. I was a very lazy comic before I did Rogan's podcast. And then when I did Rogan's podcast, my storytelling, which I was always better at than joke writing, was. Mm was kind of profiled and Rogan was like, you got to write that machine story. And that machine story, the 12 minute story was a fucking PhD class in learning how to tell a story and learning what was important and what wasn't important. And like, and like, and what, like, and I, and from that I've learned how to tell stories better and better and better. And then you get a story where like, I got a story now that I'm telling that is not funny. But it kills. It doesn't kill, but it, like I mean, it does well. Yeah. But it it's not funny. the The premise, if I wrote it on paper, you'd be like, I don't. But if I told it <laughs> to you, you'd go, I've been there. Like it's it's finding this connective tissue for me of something pe- like, and then working it backwards and just filling it up.
1: You yeah. know? See, I can't do that. I can't write stories, and I'm not a storyteller in the least. My thing is find. All right. What are the two sides to the issue? and then where's the third side to this issue yeah. or why do both sides not matter on this issue so if it's something I'm at, like it's more disbelief than anger is what I try to play on stage sometimes yeah. it comes across as anger but like I'm trying to I'm working a bit now about the national anthem and how like I don't even want to get into whether or not you should or shouldn't take a knee that's a separate discussion the people I'm upset with are the people who are surprised that black people have a problem with America like and so then the whole bit the National Anthem shit is just an entry point but for me it's just attacking people who are so blind that they're shocked yeah like it's one thing to be oh I didn't know that was happening but to be shocked like that if you're shocked that means you thought we were having a great time and now (laughs) you're taken aback yeah That we're not patriotic And it's 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 a long bit But the whole The whole premise of the bit Is just about how Black people You can't expect Patriotism out of black people It's never been Who we are Listen to our music Nowhere in the history Of black music Is there a hit Patriotic song No We we don't do Patriotism Not
0: even the fat boys Did one No (laughs) If you're gonna right. if someone was gonna give you one, it would be the fat yeah. boys.
1: We'll do a cover, but we won't write original patriotic shit. That's just not black let's white artists write original patriotic song. Yeah, and so then I go Letter down the, Exactly. So then the joke is going down the yeah, line. That's great, of, that's great. And then you talk about how black people don't talk about America, black people sing about specific cities where they can have a good time. And so then you break down all the songs where black people talk about cities. So you got Welcome to Miami, California Knows How to Party George on my mind, empire state of mind with Jay Z. Like, so God, you start. Yeah. So it's like about just the dichotomy, the black psyche and how black music tells you what we're feeling. And that's really what the joke is about. So it, to me, it's like finding this third prism to what's apparently a two sided issue. And so that's kind of how I try to write, you know, sometimes there's issues where, all right, the Confederate flag. Yeah. I'm against the flag, but let's also acknowledge that it was kind of helpful. It well, that's what well, I. That's what I like of what you do is you, you do
0: you take the point and then you look at both. You look at all angles of it and then come from the one where no one's. Everyone's like, oh, I thought he was going to go that
1: way. That's what I try, and that's where the Daily Show has really helped my writing, bro. Oh really? my god, dude! You sit in a room every morning with like fucking, ten or eleven Emmy winners. 'Cause there's a lot of the old guard that's still there on the really? writing staff from Jon Stewart's days. And you'll walk in the room, the way the way I describe it is that I'll walk in the room with an apple and I want them to help me slice it. And these motherfuckers will take the apple and slice, bake it, sprinkle cinnamon on that shit, fucking toast it <laughs> flambe, add some granola, some crumbles. Pie crust. You walk out of the room confused with a strudel. <laughs> yeah, like, what the okay. fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted you to help me slice this apple. Yeah. And these motherfuckers have made the most delicious, amazing apple tart dish oh. with the same apple. And it's and it's and it's in the wheelhouse of what you do.
0: You're basically writing. I mean, theoretically, like three minute bits, or, or like it's like hundred oh, percent. It's it's what your strength is. It's taking that and and showing. Just seeing the way other people do it
1: I can't tell you how many times there's been bits that I've done on this show Where I'm just like god damn I wish I could do this on stage Yeah god But the ethics in me won't let me take something That we've already done on the show And put it going back to the whole writing Who's writing the bit yeah. Type thing but yeah like, God damn was, One of the writers wrote something one day about black people And ghosts And how um, black, Being black is exhausting It's an exhausting existence that's why there's no black ghosts because black people are so tired they don't have the strength to come back from the dead. <laughs> they just want to rest. I, I'm not doing it justice. But like, it's definitely like it's just one of those days like, God damn, I wish I would have thought of that. And I have those moments every day, man. So it's a blessing, dude. Dude, I'm so... I'm so happy for you. I really,
0: really am. I you, were, you you were living in the same building as my sisters
1: for a while. Dude, Beachwood. Long live Beachwood. That is a weird building. They still packages there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still in the Facebook group for that building. It's just a bunch of old white people arguing about the swimming pool. Oh. Oh, well <laughs> the swimming pool's back. Yeah, oh, it's back now. <laughs> yeah. Is the warmer on again? It's getting colder. <laughs> is the swimming pool heated this year?
0: We went we went to go have dinner at my sister's the other day. The
1: pool is always there. It's going as there's. And there was
0: this white man sitting in the lobby and me and my daughters walk up to the front door where arms are filled like we're bringing fucking food over yeah and uh he's sitting in the lobby and we just went hey can you open the door and he just went no and i went i'm here with two little girls i'm not clearly i'm not breaking in so i was like fuck so i put my stuff down i hit the code door opens i walk in and i'm just looking at him we're both
1: waiting for the elevator i go yeah
0: couldn't have just couldn't have just gone. But that's that mentality. That is that weird. That's
1: Beachwood. Yeah. They're very, very weird over there. But, man, I appreciate it, sir. Dude,
0: it's I'm fucking so excited for you, man. It's so, it's fun to watch a friend fucking blow
1: the fuck up. Well, I appreciate it, sir. So I'll try and keep delivering. And then maybe one day I can finally hit line in Nebraska. <laughs> at that we'll, fucking be 50. Club. we'll be doing a yeah. good tour of 50. I, you know what I want to do, man, just to be a dick? It it, it would be petty and I'll look like the asshole So I can't do it But I want to do it I want to do an across the street tour And I just want to do comedy at venues That are physically across the street From clubs that never headlined me Oh that's a fucking Right now I know for sure It would be Looney Bin Wichita Looney Bin Little Rock and the Funny Bone in Greensboro – no, the Comedy Zone in Greensboro, North Carolina. God, they never headline me either. <laughs> those would be <laughs> – it's so petty. I'll go back and headline these rooms and just make money. Like now I get why comics have the weird writers yeah. in certain clubs. Oh, it's yeah. not because they're a jerk. It's because this club 10 years ago did something to you that you never forgotten. You never got over because you're not an adult. Yeah. And then you just go, you know what? I want three plates of ribs – in my green room, I want white. I want white Air Force Ones. Brand. Oh, new. I already know who you're talking about. <laughs> size 8s. Size eight. Size The <laughs> Funny thing about that guy with that that um that rider is that um he was headlining in Birmingham one year and the comedy club because he gets a new pair per show.
0: Per show, yeah. So they so add, they have to get six fucking Air Force size eight Air so Force. So they
1: add two shows. He sells out. They add two shows. But they don't know where to go to get the sneakers because all of the white stores are sold out of size eight. Yeah. So they called me asking me, where are the black sneaker stores <laughs> in town? And can you pick up two pairs?
0: And do a guess at?
1: do a guess at? Because <laughs> it was too close to show. And they uh-huh. need the, the sneakers have to be. There wasn't enough time for them to drive and drive back. But if somebody was already on that side of town, they yeah. could scoop them and bring them. Oh, that's dude. So- I had to go to like the fucking black mall and buy two pairs of air force ones size eights or else that dude wasn't going to go on stage. <sighs> I want to put that in my next rider. If I fucking blow up, I'm going to make, I want I want something like that to his credit. He donates them to inner city children, but you got to figure at this point he's been doing he really? this. So that's what they say. Yeah. But at this point, my fucking, you've been getting free sneakers for five years. How many size eight fucking black kids are you meeting? It, yeah. This got to be a size seven, <laughs> or a size nine. Like, yeah. Can you can you at least trade a man for store credit so the kid could go get something in his size? So Ooh, like,
0: that's what I want. I want I want a size eight hat of whatever your local team is fitted because I have a big fucking head. I would love that. that would yeah, be a I'm great, a size eight
1: guy. Are you really? Yeah. I sometimes I can go seven three quarters, but I, I sweat and they shrink, so yeah. I need the
0: eight. It's it got to be eight because it sure it'll it molds perfectly to my head.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good move. I don't know what my rider would. I'd be be. cool with a knife. Like if they give me a new knife every show. That's creepy. I like knives. The only thing I ask for in my rider is at college shows, I ask for a soda, preferably a Dr Pepper, and a stool, only because more often than not with colleges, I'm usually coming there straight from the hotel or straight from the airport, and it's usually sometimes I'm in a rush. Yeah. And you get to the venue and it's a venue that doesn't have a soda machine. Yeah. And I need that sugar rush for colleges now. Like I'm at that point in my career where – I can't conjure up all of the youthful you energy yeah, here and there. I bet you're fucking murdering yeah. colleges. They're fun, but I have to change up some of the material because, you know, these youngins, they're a lot more politically correct. You ain't getting up there talking about national anthem protests. Oh, <laughs> they, fuck, <laughs> yeah. you, you ain't juggling that dynamite. You know it's bad at colleges when Jerry Seinfeld says this shit's getting out of hand. Yeah. It's too politically correct. God. Yeah, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you doing this, man. Appreciate it, Thanks, sir. Congrats. Thank you, sir. Fuck yeah. Good times. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.